This episode is brought to you by the irresistible taste of Jif peanut butter. It's that jiffing good, it doesn't really need advertising. So instead, enjoy 30 straight seconds of semi-interesting animal facts, courtesy of Jif. Gorillas are ticklish. Jellyfish have no heart, but they don't care because they have no brain. Platypuses can sting with their feet. The offspring of a bison and a cow is called a beefalo. Coral are technically animals, so this is technically an animal fact. New Yorkers bite far more people each year than sharks do. Dogs have four legs. The ancient Aztecs referred to armadillos as turtle rabbits. Millipedes can sing. Koalas have human-like fingerprints. Humans can use their koala-like fingers to get their incredible Jif peanut butter at Jif.com. We can let Bill WD-40 into the chat room there and lube us up for tonight's show because you always want to be lubed up before a good show. All right, let's continue on. Joshua, Joshua S. And uh, let's see, who else do we have here? Hmm. Penny Van, good to have you back. Renee Cruz, Chris Teen, thank you for joining us. Enzo, how's your hair tonight, my friend? Give us an update if you don't mind. Stu Gerson, good to see you. Hi, Sandy B. And Michael Fontaine. And uh, let's see, Simply Coco, drink for the evening is Sangria and Merlot. Very nice choices tonight. Very professional choices. Continuing on here with Roll Call as we're running out of time. Mark Ellens, good to see you. TMI, good to have your name back, buddy. And uh, let's see, Choi T, welcome to Spaced Out Radio's chat room. Uh, Joe Ferreira, thank you for joining us from Brazil. Von Patrick, thank you for coming on in. Hi, Logan L. And we got nine seconds. Can we do it? Can we do it? We did it. We finished. Robert Kermit Cole, welcome to SOR Chat. Horns up. Let's rock. From the mountains of central British Columbia to you listening around the world, this, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the news, wire, check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. we got a power pack show of UFOs tonight. Bob Spearing is here from MUFON's International Division to talk about UFO sightings. Then in hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp. And after Swamp Dweller, Big Tex is going to be joining us in place of a vacationing Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio for the Cryptid Report. I'm excited about tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Very excited. We got a great guest for you by his name, Bob Spearing. He even sounds manly like a UFO hunter. Hi, I'm Bob Spearing. Yeah, 
That's the way it goes around here. Bob has been with MUFON since 2014, started out as a field investigator and has previously been national director of both Spain and India and led MUFON's special assignment team as well. Bob has been long involved with our various special projects, including Mars and the Pine Bush New York UFO Museum. He has had numerous articles published in various related magazines about UFOs around the world, including two MUFON journal cover stories, and he has appeared on several television shows because he's a good-looking guy. His hair, absolutely perfect, and yes, he did let me know pre-show that his wife did his hair for him. Yeah, I'm not even making that up. I wish I was. But nonetheless, Bob's turned into a pretty good friend of Spaced Out Radio. We're glad to have him here tonight. Bob, thank you so much for joining us for the first time. How you doing, my friend? It's good to be here. Um, you're breaking up a little on me all of a sudden. Am I? Okay. No, no, you're back. You're back. You're back. All right. Thank you for having me, Dave. Thank you. Not a problem. Not a problem. And, uh, you know, we want to say hello and thank you. You and I actually got to meet at the MUFON Symposium in Denver, Colorado last year. And what an event that was. Man, that was fun. You know, you guys put on a good shindig there, man. Yeah, well, we always put on a good shindig. Actually, I was very impressed with you. Uh, After you were done, I made a beeline to you just to talk about uh, something you said, basically, why now is all of this stuff coming out? Why now is the press so interested when for decades we've been tin foil hat people? So I, I thought you had a, a wonderful presentation, and I hope I can see you again at a MUFON symposium soon. Oh, I'd love it. I, I would absolutely love it. It would be a lot of fun, and it was a lot of fun. And I got to meet a lot of really, really cool people there. And, you know, that was my first time to Denver. And what a beautiful city that is absolutely stunning city surrounded by the mountains and you couldn't have picked a better place that's for sure uh this this coming august we're going to be uh in cincinnati actually covington kentucky a suburb of cincinnati so august 25th till the 27th we're having our symposium uh just on the outskirts of cincinnati this year i heard that might be you guys might be doing it a little bit differently with having a lot more of the guests speaking uh, via via the internet and, and coming in on closed circuit. Is that true? Well, just one guest is going to be closed circuit because their book launch happens to coincide that week, a uh, major, major speaker. Uh, but the rest of them, as far as I know, are going to be in person. Awesome. Awesome. And I know Grant Cameron is going to be there. So we got the Canadian contingent, at least uh, strong there with our idol Grant Cameron around here. But uh, yeah, anybody who gets an opportunity to go, you got to go. And uh, the only close to MUFON event I will be doing this year is up out in San Francisco, where Lorian Fenton, longtime MUFON uh, member, is putting on UFOCon 2023. And I in March uh, the 17th through 19th, I'm not speaking there. I'm actually going to be emceeing that event. But, uh, you know, there's something about coming together with the UFO community that just makes for such a, a fun weekend. And I've told our audience, if you know, if you do something once in your life, go to a, a UFO conference. They are just so much fun. 
I, I remember my first one, my first new fun conference. I was like a wallflower. I was so afraid to talk to people. And uh, I saw Linda Milton Howell, and I went up to her afterwards, and I was shaking to shake her hand. I'm like, oh, my God, these are the stars. I can't believe it. And over the years, suddenly a lot of these people are becoming your friends, and you're not looking at them as some idol on, on the the, the stage you're looking at them as somebody who you know personally and, and converse with often throughout the year that's that's one of the most enjoyable parts of, of becoming part of the ufo community very much so very much so let's let's talk about you here for a second though and let our audience get to know you you know you've been doing this since 2014 what directed you to join MUFON in that year it was Terry Terry Ray was a MUFON field investigator in Pennsylvania and he wrote a book called uh, the world the true story of the worldwide invasion of orange orbs and back in the 1980s I was on a camping trip and in the middle of nowhere in New Jersey late at night it was raining I was sitting on a beach on an overturned canoe with a friend and we saw this pink star-like object coming over the lake and I knew it wasn't a star because it was a very heavy cloud cover and it started dancing around over the lake and then it would stop and make like a semicircle stop again and then after like five minutes it just shot off at the speed of light me and my friend was sitting on this canoe and we just said what the heck was that and I kept it inside. That was 1986. And then in 2014, uh, this guy comes out with this book. And I go, my goodness, other people have seen these orb things that he's talking about. I went to see him in Pittsburgh speak. And I had a conversation with him afterwards. He told me all about MUFON. I joined probably a month later. And I became a field investigator probably three months after that. But that's what inspired me was my own orb uh, event and I found the fellow who actually wrote a book on orbs. The entire field is addicting. You know, like once you have that real emotional sighting, you're really locked into this field for as long as you live because there's no way anybody's ever going to be able to explain that what you saw was an airplane or space dust or a comet or an asteroid falling to Earth or, or whatever it may be. Yeah, I, I mean, as you go along, you learn a lot, uh, and I learned a lot about orbs. I learned about ball lightning and the possibility that some of these things are natural weather events, uh, but what I saw was definitely beyond the pale. There was something quite unusual about it, and after literally reading tens of thousands of, of reports in the MUFON CMS, I can tell you that not everything is ball lightning by, by a long shot. For you, when you joined MUFON in 2014, why was it important to you to make that commitment, not only to the group and its history, but to yourself in trying to find answers into what's going on, Bob? Well, it, it, what's interesting is that when I was a little kid, uh, during the blackout of 1965, November of 65, the next day my uncle came over. I was six years old, and he said, they think UFOs knocked out the power station at Niagara Falls and that's what caused the blackout and he started buying me all these uh, lost in space and UFO comic books by Gold Key and in fifth grade he bought me uh, Chariots of the Gods when it came out in 1971 and then the saga magazines in the 70s and 80s and then I had my own sighting so I always had a penchant for UFOs even as a kid but after I had my own first sighting 
that's what made me start to feel that this was something important. This was something I wanted to investigate. And when I joined MUFON and began investigating cases in New Jersey and heard some of the stories from some of these witnesses that would make your hair stand up. And I said, my goodness, this is probably one of the most intriguing questions that needs to be answered in in the history of the world. And I've gone so far down that rabbit hole at times that once you're in, once you get your feet wet, you you never go back. You're in it for life. Almost 10 years into this run with MUFON now, you have met... All sorts of people, first-time people who've had sightings or interaction with UFOs. You've met government officials. You've met investigators. You've met everybody that has something to do with this field, pretty much. And I'm curious for you, you know, when with all the people you have met and the amount of brain power that is in this field, and I don't want to talk about the government side tonight because that'll just upset me you know what are we missing here what is the big thing we are missing in getting this conversation started with those who either don't believe or are too afraid to believe or just don't want to be a part of that conversation i i think that the problem with ufology has always been uh, that it has taken a back seat to just life in general. I, I saw that starting to change when the internet came about and when we started to expand with, with stations like YouTube and you know the MUFON Journal and, and other magazines, and it began to come to the forefront. And then, of course, all these different TV shows that, are, that have come along over the past 20 years, uh, it, it started to become more mainstream. And, and I think that that's very important for people because there's a lot of people out there that have a story to tell and they've never had a place to go tell it and now the avenues for these people are becoming more and more available in in particular for example when the hangar one show came out and there was a couple of episodes that took place during the vietnam war mufon was inundated by veterans sending in reports about their own experiences in the Gulf War and in the Vietnam War. So I I think that the more that it becomes public knowledge and the more that there are avenues for for people to report things, I I, I think it's going to become more and more mainstream, especially with everything that's going on now. Absolutely. How has the last five years, though, you know, with the you know, it started off with the TTSA, and now we have the United States government kind of getting involved with this. And I know I just mentioned a few seconds ago, contradicted myself, just saying, you know, we're, I don't want to get into the government side today, but it is hard right now. But how has ufology in your mind changed over the last few years? I don't think ufology's changed. I, I think that the perception of it in mass media has changed. They've, uh, it, whether it's because they realize they can market it better, whether there's some underlying, possibly nefarious reason why the government is suddenly taking an interest in it and and putting out all of these, you know, leaked videos and letting pilots speak. There's a perception that something's changing. I don't know if it's it's that we're getting close to disclosure. I don't know if it's a false flag, but something's just changing in general as far as ufology goes. Is it good for what we're going through, or are we, you know, because my feeling is, and I've been telling my audience, 
you know, pretty much since the new year, you know, we've kind of banned the word UAP around here. And I've kind of shunned the term disclosure because it really seems like we're more in a confirmation movement than a disclosure movement. I I would agree with you. There's some people who would say that disclosures already happened and that it's just up to some people to begin accepting it. I I personally believe that something's opening up and that we're never going to be able to go back. And I don't know if we're actually going to get the government or the Catholic Church, the Vatican or some sort, the UN to actually come out and admit admit it wholesale. But I think that the evidence that has been amassed at least since the last 70 years uh, is just so overwhelming that you and me and and hundreds of thousands of other people who've seen UFOs who are interested in it, we already know the answer and, and that there's something going on. Bob, in your history of studying UFOs, if you could pick one case from, let's say, Roswell on up to where we are today, carte blanche so that way you knew exactly what happened what case would that be one of the cases that i've always truly enjoyed and it's actually sort of a double case was in 1995 there was a policeman in yorkshire england who saw a spotlight over a highway he was in a remote area at the edge of a forest in in england and he radioed in uh, if there was some sort of police helicopter there, uh, he got the response that there was none in the air and immediately the object made a beeline for him. And within 10 seconds, it was over his head from three or four miles away. Uh, I'm shown a neon blue light down onto his police car for about five minutes. He was terrified to get out of the car. Uh, eventually he did and he looked up and it was a, a an enormous black triangle maybe 30 feet over his head with a little red beacon going around like the old-fashioned police cars and then it shot off what was interesting is that when david mahler put out his book uh, estimate of the situation he described another incident in yorkshire three months later where a girl was in the field reading a book black triangle comes over intense blue beam covers her she finds herself on a table with little grays around her and they're experimenting on her she finds herself back in the field maybe three four hundred yards from the book that she was reading that's what launched my interest in patterns because there was no way that these two reports weren't connected one was an abduction and what i believe happened to the policeman was the blue beam whatever it is and i believe that blue beams do have multiple purposes uh cleaning up like bacteria wise in case somebody's going to be abducted possibly attraction beam blue beams have been known to take out radar stations in russia so it seems like it's a multi-purpose beam but there's no way these weren't connected I don't think they took the cop because they realized he'd be too much trouble if they abducted him. He would have been missing. He would have had a story to tell if he remembered it. But that's what got me interested in patterns. That's what got me interested in triangles. That's what got me interested in beams that various types of craft uh, shine down on people, sometimes even killing people. All right. So that's that's probably one of my favorite cases is the cop in, in England with the triangle and the blue beam. 
See, for me, it, it would still be, uh, you know, either Shag Harbor or oh, okay. or it would be, you know, being Canadian, the Stefan Mikulak case where, you know, he decided to, you know, go investigate those UFOs up close and personal, you know. But I just, I think when it gets up close and personal and the phenomena is like right in front of you, it would be, it would be incredible. Personally, it would be the landing that I saw where I was telling you before the show. And I, I don't think this time I would chicken out and not go near it. I would have to get closer. I would have to move closer. I don't know what would happen, but I do know that next time, if I'm blessed with it happening, that I would definitely, you know, show more strength and fortitude. That's for sure. We have about four and a half minutes before we got to go to break at the bottom of the hour from MUFON's International Division. Bob Spearing is here tonight. Bob, in the next half hour, I want to talk to you about the importance of reports that people are having. But before we get there, I want to ask you this. Over the last few years, we've seen ufology really beat up on itself over videos, over photographs that are taken. Nobody seems to believe anything anymore unless it's their own product that they have filmed or photographed. I'm curious, you know, for you, as things have shifted, what is proof today? What is proof of the phenomena? Uh, well, you know, I've seen thousands of photographs and thousands of videos uh, from the MUFON CMS, and I've seen more videos, fake CGI videos, than I'd ever want to admit on, on all of these Facebook groups that I've joined, and sometimes I regret joining them. I... I I still think that the level of cameras, uh, pixels and stuff, we still don't get good videos. We still don't get good uh, photographs. Sometimes people who have submitted drawings and illustrations to MUFON have, have submitted absolutely phenomenal drawings where you have to say that this person actually witnessed this. The majority of, of orb photographs are no good. They're out of focus against the black background. I don't think the level of evidence is there yet. I will say that when we have uh, trace evidence cases, and there's been a lot of them through time, uh, when you have uh, a residual radioact uh, electromagnetic field that actually can make a person break out in hives, when you have the paint on a car changing, I think my niece, Allie, was pushed off that ledge. From the network that brought you Cruel Summer comes the watchful eye. People will do despicable things to get their hands on a fortune. Did you see anything or hear anything? These people play really dirty. Yeah, so do you. There are lies everywhere. If we pull this off, we're set for life. Get out now. And eyes everywhere. It feels like someone's always watching you. They have to pay for what they did. The Watchful Eye. Series premiere January 30th on Freeform and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by the irresistible taste of Jif peanut butter. It's that jiffing good, it doesn't really need advertising. So instead, enjoy 30 straight seconds of semi-interesting animal facts, courtesy of Jif. Gorillas are ticklish. Jellyfish have no heart, but they don't care because they have no brain. Platypuses can sting with their feet. 
The offspring of a bison and a cow is called a beefalo. Coral are technically animals, so this is technically an animal fact. New Yorkers bite far more people each year than sharks do. Dogs have four legs. The ancient Aztecs referred to armadillos as turtle rabbits. Millipedes can sing. Koalas have human-like fingerprints. Humans can use their koala-like fingers to get their incredible Jif peanut butter at Jif.com. Change color because it came in close contact with uh, an electromagnetic field so powerful that it changed the oxides, the molecular structure of the magnetic oxides in the paint primer. Those types of cases, I think, are the real good evidence, not the photographs. True, true. I mean, because so many you know people with iPhones and, and smartphones now, they are pointing them to the sky if they see something weird. And realistically, I mean, due to the lack of zooming, it just looks like a bunch of, of dots that are moving in the sky. You can't really tell what they are. But, you know, are those those types of videos, along with the anecdotal story, still listed as high-quality sightings? I'd say, I'd say no. I'd say they're mediocre at best. It, it, there's very, very few videos uh and there's there's very very few uh witnesses where sometimes they write beautiful narratives and you say something happened to this person but they have nothing to back it up with the, the one case that i thought that was phenomenal with evidence was the mexican fedex plane case where the pilot was being tracked for 30 minutes by a glowing white object outside his cockpit at 33,000 feet going 600 miles an hour. And when he got to the United States border, it made a left turn and wouldn't go over the border. What was fascinating about that case and that witness was he was a, a military pilot before he had flown for FedEx for 20 years. He filmed it, shut the cockpit lights off, filmed the orb outside the cockpit window and then panned down to his TCAS radar system. Clearly there was something right outside his window. Clearly there was nothing on his TCAS, but he filmed the whole thing. If if ufology could get more witnesses and more quality video like that, we'd be light years ahead of where we are today. But they're few and far between those cases. So basically the reports that are coming in now, you really have to go through them with a fine-tooth comb because the good cases are, you know, even though somebody may have an anecdotal sighting that sounds incredible, you just can't put faith in that today. No, and one of the things that I do on a regular basis is I try to find correlating cases. If we have something unusual, like, for example, last August 18th when you had the racetrack UFOs that were sighted by the pilots over Catalina Island, there was other stuff going on that day over different parts of the United States that without doubt had to be connected to what people were seeing, the pilots were seeing over Catalina Island. When, when you can correlate... That helps you. On that note, Bob, I'm going to get you to hold on right there. Great start tonight from MUFON International's division. Bob Spearing, his hair is looking fantastic. We're going to get into UFO sightings next on Spaced Out Radio. Stay tuned. Uh, Pete Person, thank you for that super chat. Uh, the craft that I saw up close uh, was uh, the. It's hard to explain. The white light that was shining through the trees was coming from the bottom of the craft, 
And then in the middle, there was a, a blue cylinder that was standing vertically about 30 feet tall, 20 to 30 feet. And then there was this black cloud that was rotating counterclockwise uh, around it. It would go halfway up this rod and then back down to the ground where the white light was, and then it would come back up. So that was pretty cool. That's what we saw. Deb from SAC, thank you for the lovely super chat. Yep, for the lovely, lovely super chat, Deb from SAC. And uh, let's see who else is here. Good to have a Darcy Weir sighting in here today. That's a rarity. See him less than Sasquatch. National Disgrace, how you doing? We got a good crown so far, man. You must have told your friends. We're at 207 right now on YouTube. You hiding some news from us there, Bob? Are you spreading the word? Uh, I saw it it reposted a lot on Facebook, I can tell you that. Uh, We'll just blame Katie, Katie Page. Oh, that's right, I saw Katie. Hi, Katie. Dirt Road, how are you? Uh, Dave, do you think your UFO was taking soil samples? No. No, it was communicating with me. It's exactly it, and I don't say that to sound uh, cocky or, or brash. But it was communicating with me. Well, thank you, Gong Show. Appreciate that. Ed Clater's here. Hide the mustard. Ed Clater has arrived. Bob, is there a difference between the amount of sightings on the East Coast comparatively to the West Coast because of population? Sure. If you look at any any aggregate UFO map, you see that as you go past the Mississippi River, it gets less and less dense till you get to California and Washington State on the West Coast, and then it picks up again. So it's sort of like a hole in the middle of the United States. That hole in the United States, would that be by Wyoming and that that entire area, yeah. Iowa, yeah. U- Utah, yeah, um, that, it's like a big big circle, northern Utah on up to Wyoming and out probably towards uh, uh, Iowa. There's, there's not much, and it's because it's very rural. I did a study once on orbs over New Jersey, orb sightings for over a seven year period, yeah. and when I mapped it all out, it was. Newark, New Jersey, Trenton, every place where there was a higher population density was where you'd see more orbs. So that doesn't mean that the orbs aren't over, you know, the Pine Barrens in New Jersey where nobody lives. It's just that nobody's reporting them. Right, right. Out of every sighting that is out there, how many do you think are actually reported? One in a hundred? One in a thousand? I'd I'd say one in a hundred. Let's yeah, one in a hundred, not one in a thousand. I think that a lot of people know what 
what's going on. And I, I think the amount of reports that MUFON and New Fork and others are getting is actually increasing. I don't know if that's because there's more events happening or if it's just because more people are becoming aware and, and wanting to report what they're seeing. But on the other hand, even though there's a lot of reports, 90% of them are, you know, lights in the sky or misidentified helicopters at night. I mean, it, the tr truly good phenomena reports are, are maybe 10% of them that we get. Wow. Wow. Uh, we have about 45 seconds. I'm having fun tonight, Bob. Hope you are too, my man. All right, 30 seconds. Thank you so much, Louis times two. Greg, Pete, Deb. Actually, make that Louis times three. He's got the early hat trick tonight. Greg, Pete, and Deb, thank you so much for the super chats. It's a wonderful way to support what we do. And remember, Las Vegas people, check the ticker below on our YouTube channel. We want to see you all in Las Vegas, May 19th through 21st at our fan party. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Here comes the second half hour. Second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. I want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you, including rocking out to Bumblefoot, reading the newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. From MUFON's International Division, we have Bob Spearing here tonight. We're going to get into UFO sightings. Bob, I want to ask you right off the bat, it may be a little bit of a controversial question, but it really seems to me and the people I talk to on a daily basis, including members of our audience, that they seem a little down and out about putting any type of report out there, knowing that it seems now you have to be a fighter pilot or a commercial airlines pilot to get any credibility towards your sighting. Is this true right now? Do you think we've steered too much that way? I, I think that mass media steers us that way because it's a hot topic for them right now. So they don't want to talk to Joe in Iowa who saw something come down in the field. They want to talk to uh, a pilot that's going to have some sort of FLIR camera-related video from his fighter jet of something that he was chasing. So the media want to create the impression, not the people like us who are in the field doing the actual work, they want to direct the, the, the conversation. So they're only going to take the most dramatic uh, video that they can get. They're only going to take the military pilot because that's good TV. And in a sense, that hurts the rest of us trying to do our investigations. Yeah, I mean, but do you see where it's discouraging people? 
Yes, I do. Uh, because Joe and I are, again, must think, you know, I, what I saw isn't important, but I know that something happened to me. And it's especially true, I believe, with some of the people who are experiencers, who've had really, really intense, sometimes ongoing experiences in their life with some sort of agent, unknown agent, and they have no place to go. And they don't hear about the MUFON ERT team that can that can talk to them and send them in the right direction for counseling. They only see what Tucker Carlson is doing on, on Fox News. Yeah. Well, at least he hasn't dropped the ball like every other media outlet seems to have on this topic. So as much as Tucker Carlson has one of those faces, Bob, where if I ever saw him on the ice, I'd probably hit him. Okay? He's just got that face. I am proud that he hasn't dropped the ball on this subject because so many have. And so many seems it seems like so many have tried to push this story back into uh, the underground where they believe it should be. But let's hope it, it continues to stay up. In regards to people who are phoning in their or writing down their witness reports, do you prefer to deal with those who have a UFO sighting or those who've had contact experience? Well, I, I'm not part of the, the ERT team, the experiencer um, resource team. Uh, you have to do a little bit extra training to do that. And, and I've gone a different way because I do a lot of other things with MUFON. But some of the initial reports you get of people that have had uh, experiencers, uh, experiences, uh, sometimes ongoing, or communications with people, they're sometimes more fascinating than the person who sees something come down in their backyard or hover over their house. Uh, and the other thing, again, because I'm so into patterns, when you read enough of these stories from all of these different people, from Brazil, from Chicago, from Japan, and they're all telling you a similar story, not dozens, not hundreds, not thousands, but there's tens of thousands of stories that are so similar by people who would never know each other in their entire life telling the same story. And they're really, really intense stories. You have to say that even though there's not a shred of evidence, not a shred of physical evidence, just comparing all of these stories tells you that there's some sort of ongoing pattern here and if you go back hundreds of years and people telling it in a different way where it wasn't an alien gray in their room but they saw a leprechaun but it might be the same type of agent you have to say that over hundreds of years people telling the same stories really weird stories that there must be something something to it so i i prefer i prefer really intense one-on-one -on -one contact with alien stories than somebody saw something in the sky it, it, it just adds a flavor to it that you really just can't write out due to the you know unless you have an incredible imagination what give us an example of a story involving et contact that really got to you one of the things was a woman who was driving around uh, she was somewhere up in Massachusetts. It's always in Massachusetts on a lonely highway. Uh, and she saw a black triangle come over her and she lost time. All she remembers was being on the table and uh, a, a group of aliens around her, but being touched on her right shoulder. The woman was so distraught after she wrote the report to move on. She, she ended up becoming disabled and, and couldn't work again. 
but the thing that was interesting about that was when I read that report, I said, you know, I've heard so many experiencer stories where they're in a ship and they've been touched on their shoulder and that's a repeating pattern. And I says, I never see that spoken about. Another pattern that I see is that when people are taken on a ship, whether it's by force, whether it's by invitation, because a lot of times people are invited, they're put in front of a big screen on the ship and they're actually shown scenes of the destruction of cities, floods, earthquakes. And this is not a few stories. This is hundreds of stories. It's the same thing where they're in front of a big screen seeing scenes of destruction. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why would, you know, the alien come from another galaxy just to show people images of their planet's destruction? The only thing I can think of is that they want to get some sort of rise out of person like they're doing some sort of psychological testing to get an idea of how an earth person would take seeing destructions of their planet but that's a pattern that's over and over again so is it the same agent showing the same movies or is this you know disparate phenomena uh, i i think that there's a pattern to it is it a time of year a time of night certain times of the month what kind of patterns are you seeing with this? You know, that, that's a good question. Um, the reports, a lot of them, there's a fellow that writes uh, a series of books called The, the, the Humanoids, Albert Rosales. I don't know if you, you're familiar with him. Yeah. He has about 17 books, and he has uh, a lot of these stories in there. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I don't know if there's a pattern time of day or not, but there's no geographical pattern because... Uh, a lot of these reports are, are from all over the world and from uh, different decades, the same thing going on. So I, as back as the 1950s, I don't know if you remember the woman, what was her name? Cynthia Appleton in England. The fellow kept materializing in her living room during the day, and she he would like present a screen to her. That's another one where this, the person isn't actually seeing a screen in a ship. It's almost like the screen snakes out of the ship and presents itself in front of people and they, they see these movies. Uh, it's it's all over the world over, over dozens and dozens, if not decades of years. So I don't know if you could draw any sort of cohesive pattern from that. Knowing that you have the international title of MUFON, how many or how popular are sightings in other parts of the world? You've worked India, you've worked numerous different countries what are we looking at here are we looking at i mean we get so blindsided by being in north america here and concentrating on our own what's happening around the world with sightings well i'll start with you in canada uh if you're gonna if you're gonna get reports about highly sophisticated massive sized craft Canada is the place to go, especially northern Ontario uh, and British Columbia, like we were talking about earlier. When people see things up in Canada, especially in remote regions, these things are massive and very sophisticated looking craft. When you go, say, to India, it's a different story. In India, you get a lot of people who submit videos of flying humans where there's no craft at all. Some of it's CGI, some of it's not. When you get to uh, Brazil or Argentina, the reports are usually close contact type reports. Spain has an enormous 
amount of, of reports. Uh, a lot of places like the Azores and the Canary Islands, some of these reports have a mystical tone to them. So depending on where you go in the world, it almost seems like it's a totally different phenomenon from another continent to, to another continent. After Canada, probably England has the second most number of reports. And usually the witnesses in England are highly educated, just like Canada. Uh, and Australia would be third, probably Spain fourth, India fifth, and then it works its way down. Japan, you get a lot of interesting shaped craft. And the people in Japan who submit videos, they usually submit pretty in intriguing looking very clear daytime videos so the the, the phenomenon is different in in every part of the world really i mean so if you're in india you may not have an issue with black triangles but you may have an issue with flying humanoids Exactly. If you're going to go to England, it's triangles, without a doubt, more than anything else. When you get to Canada, it's usually massive-sized uh, craft seen by a couple in a log cabin on vacation up on some remote lake in northern Ontario. Uh, Australia, uh, you get a lot of cases where, uh, like the schoolyard case, schoolyard cases, by the way, are very intriguing because if, if you have an Australian case, you have the Zimbabwe case, you have the case that uh, one of our field investigators, Mindy Toutfist, uh, investigated in Oklahoma, the craft that the children draw always looked the same, uh, like a disc shape with a couple of and portholes. The kids always draw the same craft, no matter what part of the world it is. How come aliens seem to have a real affinity for giving kids the same image? I mean, we saw it in in Africa and the big school sighting there. There, you know, they talked about you know portals where they could see things moving inside until the aliens came out you know other reports we've seen where from children where like you said there's these portals where they could maybe see inside and who's driving the thing or whatever it may be i mean do you think that i think my niece ally was pushed off that ledge from the network that brought you cruel summer comes the watchful eye people will do despicable things to get their hands on a fortune did you see anything or hear anything? These people play really dirty. Yeah, so do you. There are lies everywhere. If we pull this off, we're set for life. Get out now. And eyes everywhere. It feels like someone's always watching you. They have to pay for what they did. The Watchful Eye. Series premiere January 30th on Freeform and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by the irresistible taste of Jif peanut butter. It's that jiffing good. It doesn't really need advertising. So instead, enjoy 30 straight seconds of semi-interesting animal facts, courtesy of Jif. Gorillas are ticklish. Jellyfish have no heart, but they don't care because they have no brain. Platypuses can sting with their feet. The offspring of a bison and a cow is called a beefalo. Coral are technically animals, so this is technically an animal fact. New Yorkers bite far more people each year than sharks do. Dogs have four legs. The ancient Aztecs referred to armadillos as turtle rabbits. Millipedes can sing. Koalas have human-like fingerprints. Humans can use their koala-like fingers to get their incredible Jif peanut butter at Jif.com. For the most part, aliens just have a, a real warm place for kind of playing with children no 
I think it's sinister, to be perfectly honest. Um, well, they, whoever the agents, I hate to use aliens or time travelers or ultra terrestrials, whatever. I like to say agents. Whoever these agents are, they appear to children a lot. I don't know if it's if it's a d- demonic component to the UFO alien question or if it's something completely different, but I don't think it's because they just like kids, all right? And that's about as, as far into it as I could possibly go. Really? That, that surprises me. I, I thought you'd be a little bit more technical than that. Well, I, I mean, I haven't really studied schoolyard cases a lot. I, I look at, I look at, uh, I look at the drawings. I'm big into looking at drawings and comparing drawings, and that was one of the things I discovered about all these schoolyard encounters was that it seems to be the same ship. Another interesting one was if you go back to Spain in the 1960s. Remember the, the Umo sightings with the craft that had the the stylized H on the bottom of it. Yeah. One of the sightings from Russia. I believe it was 1989, uh, a mass uh, children's sighting. The craft had the same symbol. And while the UMO sightings have been considered possibly fraudulent or hoaxes, it's unusual that on another continent 30 years later, you get the same symbol on the side of a craft dr- uh, drawn by a little child. So again, is it the same you know, group of agents, whoever they were, appearing in two different places over decades? That reminds me of Alan Greenfield talking about experiencers all seeing UFOs with giant blue stingrays painted on them. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, yeah. No, I haven't seen that symbol. I actually wrote a an, an article on insignia that are on the chest of a lot of these uh tall nordics for example that that make their appearance to people and a lot of them are geo geometric shapes like triangles and circles with triangles in them almost like the alcoholics anonymous symbol but when you see it it's the same pattern over and over again even the uh even the socorro sighting uh is similar to the umo uh stylized h in a certain kind of way if you look at the work of ben cross uh who claims to have the original drawing by uh, Lonnie Zamora. So, yes, again, it seems that there is similarities in patterns on the outside of craft and on the uniforms that some of these these humanoid-type uh, people are wearing. Right. Now, the cases that you've discovered or, or worked with that include contact, is it mainly with greys or is it more humanoids or are we getting into the mantids, mantids, reptilians, and Anunnaki and other ugly things? Uh, if you go through the the CMS database, uh, it's it's almost exclusively uh, humanoids and greys. Uh, I I think I've seen only four or five reptilian reports, and uh, I don't think I've ever had an insectoid, for example. It's it's primarily greys and humans, and and I've always believed that there's a connection there. A lot of these these reports of the tall blonde. Nordics in their powder blue tight-fitting uniforms always seem to be accompanied at some point by by greys. Now, when the greys show up in somebody's bedroom, it's usually 
uh, people will see right before the, the graves that they're paralyzed and they'll see possibly a blue orb floating around in the room and then suddenly they're surrounded by little graves, no tall humanoids. When people are on uh, a spaceship and they find themselves on the surgical table, it's usually a small group of, of graves with one taller gray. So there's different scenarios for the different types of uh, encounters that people have. Right. I've, I've never seen reptilian, four reptilian reports is all I've ever seen in, in the CMS. I don't know how I would feel about coming face to face with a reptilian, man. That would just mm. scare the daylights out of me. I mean, I've, I've seen different grays with my eyes. Well, of course, how else am I going to see them? Darn it. Good one, Dave. Good hosting there. But nonetheless, nonetheless, you know, I've seen grays. And whatever this one thing was, but I don't know how I would. Re- I know how I reacted with them, which was uh, you know, I screamed like a banshee. But nonetheless, I don't know how I would react to all of a sudden seeing a mantid being or a or a a reptilian saying, "Hey, Dave, why don't we uh, head down to the saloon here and." Uh, Grab ourselves a shot of whiskey. I don't think that's how it works, but I'm I'm trying to be hopeful at least. Yeah, I I, I don't know how I would react if I saw a, a reptilian myself, but I'd say the majority of reports in the CMS are are grays. Most people that that report things to the to the CMS uh, report grays. And when you're getting thousands of reports of people seeing the same thing, again, I always believe that that leads credence to the fact that it might be a legitimate phenomenon. Right. Always going to watch the patterns. Always have to watch the patterns. You know, we have about five minutes to go before we got to go to break at the top of the hour here from MUFON International. Bob Spearing is with us. You know, getting back to what we were talking about in the first half hour of the show, where people may be a little bit shy or gun shy in giving their reports, knowing that if they look into this subject, really you have to be a part of the military or a commercial airline pilot to get any credence for your sighting. Why is it still important for groups like yourself and MUFON to hear those reports, Bob? You know, why is it necessary for the public to continue pumping you for in, with information? Well, th- th- for numerous reasons. Uh, let's say for people who have uh, some sort of experience or um, experience, they need somebody to talk to. It's it's almost like uh, uh, it could be a medical issue if, if they're left without any place to go because these people definitely have seen something or believe they see something, whether it's repressed memories that have nothing to do with the UFO phenomenon or whether it's something real. These people need an avenue, okay? Other people who believe they've seen things and know they've seen things – they need an avenue too. And what we get out of it is the ability to create a database that researchers can use in the future. One of the things that, that um, uh, what's his name? John Keel in the 60s, he used to lament that we didn't have the ability to correlate all of this information from these sightings. The thing is, is that now as we're getting close to AI being available to anybody, we're going to be able to start putting all of this into a computer and not over months or years, but over minutes, be able to start to see 
what this is all about. I think we're very, very close with artificial intelligence to finding some answers. So it's important that people give us their reports because when you amass a critical amount of information, sooner or later, and I think it's going to be much sooner than anybody thinks, we're going to start getting real answers. So I encourage people to give their reports, even if they're never going to be on Tucker Carlson, for example. MUFON will use those reports to do legitimate research and, and try to find the answer. That's what we're all about, well, using the scientific method to find an answer to whatever's going on. How have you adjusted to separating ufos from aliens um I, I i think that ufology is actually an umbrella uh phenomenon uh and that within that umbrella there are many other umbrellas orbs for example can be a multitude of things could they be a plasma-based life form uh People have seen orbs turn into Sasquatch. Is it, uh, you know, something paranormal? Uh, orbs that, you know, may be spherical craft with a plasma envelope around it to evade radar. So right there, the orb phenomenon might be three different phenomena. Same thing with all of ufology. Some people think it's aliens. Some people think it's time travelers. Some people think it's interdimensionals. Some people think it's demonic. It could be all of those things. Uh, so ufology is really an umbrella term for, I think, numerous things that are going on. I understand that. But, you know, I, I think when it comes to experiencers, you know, I, I always put it this way. And I should have said this in Denver, uh, but this was one of the lines I forgot. You know, if you've never really experienced ET contact, it's never aliens. But the minute you have a UFO sighting after you've had ET contact, it's always aliens. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. aliens uh, is just yeah. the answer to everything now. I've always, I've always favored the, uh, the, the, the time traveler that it's us from the future and whoever it, it, it is coming back from the future, if that is what's happening, it's not, they're not here to do anything nice. I think there's something uh, nefarious about it. But that's just my personal opinion. I've always favored that a large majority of what we're seeing might be people trying to manipulate our timeline, actually. Well, you know what? When we get that's an interesting second half hour to get into. We will get into some audience questions as well. But I'm curious about that. Why are aliens nefarious or, or time travelers? You know, I've always wondered, you know, if if time travelers are walking among us. Or maybe, you know, the immortals from Highlander are out there somewhere ready for the quickening. I don't know. Do they even have a quickening? Bob Spearing is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. He is MUFON's international director, and this is a great, great show. We're going to get to your questions if you're in one of our chat rooms. And we're going to get into more time travel, extraterrestrials, ultra-terrestrials, Extra Tempestrals, according to Dr. Michael P. Masters. Spaced Out Radio continues. And if you want to know more about MUFON, go to MUFON.com. Spaced Out Radio's hour number two is next. Stay tuned. Having fun? If, if you get... If you get me going on on who's manipulating the timeline, I could go off for an hour. We're going. So. That's it. Okay. The gloves are off now. The gloves are off now, Bob. Yes, we are going. Uh, Pixie Lara. Dave, are you okay? 
Yeah, I'm fine. I had a great day today. Great day. I had to insult my daytime boss. He had to insult me, but that's okay. That's okay. Bob, I'm going to put you back in the green room here for a few minutes. I'm going to just quickly take a break. I will be right back. Stay tuned, people. Don't go anywhere, 256.
bring Bob back in. And uh, great show so far, Bob. Great show. Thank you. I'm trying. I'm trying. Oh, you're doing great. You're doing great. I hope I hope you're having a good time, my man. I am. I like doing these types of things. Good. It, it's late out here. It's one in it's one a.m. in the morning. Everybody's asleep in my house, but me. Yeah, everyone's asleep in my house. Man, I got home tonight. And my house was like a sauna, and my mother-in-law is in over, is over, and I go right before the show. I'm like, why is it so hot in here? Right. I go check the temperature. It's like 72 degrees in my house. I'm like, you got to be kidding me right now. What are you like? What are you doing? Trying to like burn me up here? And uh, so I got that taken care of. Turned it down like five degrees. I hope she doesn't notice. Hi, D Swiger. How you doing? Good to see you. Tex, nice to have you here for the Cryptid Report tonight. Filling in for Super Duke. Super Duke. And uh, let's see here. Anybody else that I missed? Sneak on by here. Hey, guys, if you haven't already, hey, Troll, how you doing? Uh, Don't forget our Vegas party, May 19th through 21st at the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas. We got a great list of people who are going to show up and hang out with all of you and uh, we want to see you there so come on out uh, and check the ticker below and book your tickets today uh louis times three greg pete and deb thank you for the super chats very much appreciate the love and support here we go with the second hour everyone you're listening to spaced out radio with dave scott follow dave on twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook's Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Good to have you all with us wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, Talk Stream Live at KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club, Lackalith. Lackalith is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go once again. Bob Spearing is with us. He is the international director for MUFON. We're talking about UFO sightings and what are aliens? What do you think these little ETs running around are? Are they from another planet, another dimension, inner Earth, or are they time travelers? Bob, welcome back. And I'm going to hit you up with that same question. What do you think them aliens are? Uh, I think it's a number of things, but uh, my favorite hypothesis is that uh, at least half of what 
is going on uh, might possibly be time travelers and they have a very specific mission uh, i think that they're trying to alter the timeline so that it goes in a certain direction really and, and why do you think that the first thing that ever got me interested in it, if you can see the, the, the backdrop behind me, is from the Nuremberg uh, 1561 Battle in the Sky. Uh, that is probably the most famous woodcut ever made. Uh, but at the bottom of that woodcut, there is a black spear-like object. And I always felt that it could be uh, something akin to a B-1 bomber. But what would a B-1 bomber be doing back in Germany in 1561? That's the thing that initially got me interested. So I started asking, why would that anomaly be taking place within that larger anomaly? And I started looking through history. And one of the interesting stories that I ever heard was called The Year of the Elephant. It was from the Quran, and it took place in 571 AD. And basically, when uh, the Meccans were still uh, animists before Islam, the Christian converted king of Yemen decided to invade Mecca with a vast modern army for his time with elephants and such uh, to convert the Meccans and if not, wipe them out. When he comes with his vastly superior army, the ragtag bunch of Meccans come out to meet him and they're going to get slaughtered and Mecca is going to get sacked. But then according to the Quran, the, uh, this miracle happens where these big birds, these big black birds with pebbles in their mouth, drop these pebbles on this. Four juicy Raisin Cane's chicken fingers, garlicky buttered Texas toast, crispy crinkle cut fries, fresh coleslaw, and the secret cane sauce that makes the perfect box combo. We take pride in making the best chicken finger meals. One love, ready to go. And you can taste it in every bite. Raisin Cane's Chicken Fingers. One love. Four juicy Raisin Cane's Chicken Fingers. Texas toast, fries, coleslaw, and the secret cane sauce that makes the perfect box combo. One love, ready to go. Raisin Cane's Chicken Fingers. One love. Invading Yemeni army and utterly wipe it out within a matter of minutes. Not only that, the Yemeni army soldiers, their skin slides off their bodies. To me, looking at this in the 21st century, I say, is it some sort of miracle or was there some sort of temporal intervention? Because I don't think it was birds with pebbles in their mouth. I think it was modern fighter jets with cluster bombs, possibly radioactive cluster bombs, making the skin of the soldiers fall off from radiation sickness. As a result, Mecca was not sacked. Do you know what happened that year? No, what happened? Muhammad was born in Mecca. Had Mecca been sacked, I don't think Muhammad would have ever been born. Something interfered with what was supposed to happen and altered the course of history. And I have numerous examples throughout uh, time where I, I think that there was manipulation by outside forces to make history go a certain way. That's just probably my favorite. Very interesting history lesson there, Bob. Very interesting history lesson. You know, the idea that 
these beings may be from our future is, I, I think, the scariest notion of them all. Because that means we have really screwed up this planet over time and our evolution as a species is really maybe in tough shape. I don't know. Do you fret in thinking that these greys may be us from 500, 1,000, 2,000 years in the future? Well, because they're in conjunction a lot of times with with uh, with uh, tall blonde Nordics, I don't think that they might necessarily be us from the future, but I think that they may be some sort of manufactured biological clones being utilized by humanoids. Um, it is fascinating that uh, if they are aliens from someplace else, it, it seems that a lot of these aliens, whether they're reptilians, humanoids, great, they all have one head, they all have two arms, they all have two legs. That suggests to me that there may be a common source. Another interesting thing about humanoids is that we are apex predators. Our eyes are in the front of our heads, okay? Deer, for example, are prey. Their eyes are on the sides of their head because they need to see in all directions if the predator's coming. So humanoids are predators. When you look at greys, their eyes wrap around the side of their head very large, almost as if they're prey. In a way, I feel that the uh, tall grey Nordics, for example, may have domesticated the greys to do whatever they need to do, almost like a human owning a dog. I never thought about it that way. Do you think the greys then, because here's one of, you know, in talking to people that really have studied the greys, there's a couple things that is very noticeable. They don't seem to have nipples. They don't Correct. seem to have genitalia. Correct. Nor even a belly button. Correct. And a mouth that doesn't seem to move. Correct. Right. So I think that they could be some sort of uh, manufactured biological clone, all right, created, you know, similar to the DNA that a human would have, for example, but they're, they're neutered or whatever, or they're programmed, or they're subservient, all right? But I, I don't think they're born. That's that's for sure. I agree with you there. No belly button. I, I find that fascinating. It, it it's fascinating that some reports they wear clothes, and some reports they don't wear clothes. And I believe most of the time they only have four fingers, if if I'm not correct, and they're missing a, a, a thumb. Uh, so they're different than humans, but they're close enough that I believe there must be some um, basic model that they've come from. That is based on humans or humanoids from wherever the humanoids are coming from. Right. So if they are manufactured type of biological entity, if we could call them that, do you think that's why they have little to no emotion when they seem to just take people at their most vulnerable and experiment on them? Yes, for the most part, they show no emotion, but there are different um, uh, reports from people who, for some reason, came out of their sleep paralysis and were able to 
resist back and the greys at that point in the person's bedroom will seem to telepathically talk to each other where the witness can hear it and they're annoyed that the person can actually see them or that the person actually can resist them so in those cases these these certain reports of greys in the bedroom where they're frustrated almost suggests that they do have at least some sort of primitive uh, emotions where at least where they can get annoyed right so do you think then that the greys we just focus on them for a second that the greys have any autonomous control over their own powers i mean they seem to be able to make us float and levitate they seem to be able to manipulate our dna that we're floating through walls and brick walls steel walls uh, drywall windows you know they're not opening the door to say hey uh, we're going to exit out this way and then we're going to you know climb a ladder back into the craft right correct sometimes people uh, go right through the roof up into the ship uh, i don't think they have power per se i think that they are doing what they're supposed to do what's interesting though is when the person finds themselves on the surgical table a lot who comes in but a taller type of gray who seems to have some uh, authority over the other ones. And that is the gray that will usually go up to the person on the table and go face to face with them, relax the person in almost a sexual way. So I do think that there's different levels of grays. Uh, there's basically supervisors and servants is, is the way I see it. Much like what we saw on Close Encounters of the Third Kind at the end, mm -hmm. where all the childlike greys come running out, and then the one with the giant, you know, seven-foot arms, you know, kind of steps out and is, you know, seven to eight feet tall and, you know, looks mm -hmm. like you, if you flick its head the right way, it's going to break its neck. You know, I mean, it it's, it's high strangeness, yet people have claimed to see all sorts of different gray beings from the three four footers that look very childlike to mm -hmm. ones where the neck is protruding from the body and then the head is protruding from the neck. You got the tall ones, the thin ones, the big headed ones, the giant eyed ones, the slant eyed ones, you know, where the eyes seem to be like slits. Uh, you know, I mean, there just seems to be dozens of these types of gray species out there. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a totally possible that they could be different versions, almost like, you know, the difference between a Dodge Challenger and a, and a Barracuda, you know, but um, that's if, if, say, they are manufactured. But then again, there's other theories that say the greys may come uh, from like a brown dwarf solar system, and that's why their eyes are so big, because they have to absorb more light. So maybe there's other species, the way we have, you know, different races on Earth, they may all be coming from, say, one world, but from different parts of that world. And it could be, you know, a, they're circling a brown dwarf star, which is why their eyes are so large. Do you believe that there are alien bases or alien craft somewhere around our planet? I do. I I, I, I think that, that they have bases on the moon. I, I think we've been to Mars, and I think that sometimes what NASA does is just a front, but I think it's totally conceivable that we've 
we're already um, going interstellar. I, I do believe when you read, when you read uh, like the white papers of a physicist like uh, Eric Davis or, or Harold Putoff, you you have to consider the fact that maybe when we see a little rover driving around on Mars, that that may just be a front for what we're actually doing. I, I think that. The aliens, whoever they are, do have bases. I think that's a good possibility because there's so many sightings. We're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of sightings all over the world. Some of them are just misidentifications, but not all of them. And I do believe we are more advanced, especially if you go back to the Ben Rich quote from Skunk Works that we already can go to the stars. So I think a lot of what we're seeing is is uh, is uh, like just to amuse us, to, to – to placate us and we really don't know the whole story very true very true so you are a believer then in some sort of secret space program i am i definitely believe that uh when i listen to michael schratt i'm fascinated by some of the stuff he comes out with you know where the where the black project money goes those line items in the budget that are billions that that seem to go nowhere it's going somewhere you know where I just had a major Michael Schratt confirmation. Now, in my opinion, and I think you'll agree, Michael Schratt and Jim Goodall are two of the most brilliant historians and aviation theorists in North America. I don't mm-hmm. think there are many better than either one of those two. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm not just saying that because Jim is in our chat room. Four juicy Raisin Cane's Chicken Fingers. Garlicky buttered Texas toast, crispy crinkle cut fries, fresh coleslaw, and the secret cane sauce that makes the perfect box combo. We take pride in making the best chicken finger meals. One love, ready to go. And you can taste it in every bite. Raising Cane's chicken fingers, one love. <laughs> Raising Cane's is bringing the party this Mardi Gras with tailgates full of cooked-to-order chicken fingers and jugs of freshly squeezed lemonade and freshly brewed tea. Order online or in the app today. Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. One love. As well. By the way, Michael and Jim will be appearing at our Vegas party May 19th through 21st at the Golden Nugget Casino because we love those guys and they love us. But the, the idea behind that, I remember watching a Michael Schratt uh, interview. And believe it or not, I think it was at the MUFON conference symposium in Los Angeles, I think 2016, 2014, somewhere around there. And he was speaking about all sorts of black projects, you know, ever since the SR-71. And he brought up this model of the SR-72, which he believed was the SR-72. And be damned if it, if it almost isn't mm-hmm. the same aircraft that's at the beginning of Top Gun Maverick. And I'm like, and it, they do have a, a drone now that's an SR-72 pilotless drone. It looks just like, you know, what it was supposed to look like. Yeah, I was blown away watching Top Gun Maverick about a week and a half ago. And all of a sudden, there's the what they called the Dark Star. And I'm like, holy crap. That's exactly like what Michael Schratt told us the SR-72 looked like. Yeah, he knows his stuff. I, I was I did a TV show with him out in Austin, and I, I talked with him for a while. He's a fascinating guy to talk to. 
He's a little too sheepish, though, for his talent. I will say that. You know, either that or uh, maybe Jim Goodall's going to rough him up a little bit. You know, but uh, no, they're both great friends of what we do and, and everything. Getting back to E.T. talk here, though, I mean, the fact that people are having all sorts of experiences with extraterrestrials from, you know, the absolutely horrific and anal probing and everything that goes along with, you know, any sort of body uh, manipulation to people apparently getting healed by extraterrestrials, to people getting downloads and being able to fly the craft. Do you think that these are all different species that are are conducting these experiments, or is it just one big group and then testing uh, people in different pheno- parts of the phenomena? I think it's different uh, groups. Um, just like before, when I was talking about time travels, I think that there's definitely two groups trying to uh, create an agenda for what they want and they're competing against each other I do think that if it's aliens that there's competing groups of aliens too I think some want to help us some want to hurt us uh, that there's a lot going on behind the scenes and I believe the United States knows what what's going on um, when you have healings uh, I think that's great, uh, but then at the same time, like if you go back through the Kufos uh, sightings database, I, I like to go to other people's databases, and you see how many people have actually died from coming in contact uh, historically uh, over time with UFOs. You have to come to the conclusion that it's not all one group of people or whoever agents. It is competing interests, as far as as my my uh, understanding of it goes. So you are in conclusion then that the United States government really does have an understanding of what is going on. I do. I do. When you see all of these, you know, FLIR camera videos from these fighter jets that they're taking and it's, it, you know, being released, leaked or whatever that, oh, finally, the United States government is taking this seriously. I have an article coming out in the magazine next month that back in 1952. All right. There were dozens of runway incursions by UFOs at SAC bases. All right. Over the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., at uh, airfields that uh, soon to be President Eisenhower was visiting all in the same year, incidentally, that the United States tested its first hydrogen bomb. So I think the United States long has known what is going on, not just recently. I, I think they have to. I mean, I would love to to get my eyes on that Holloman Air Force Base video. You know, I yes. mean, if if that really isn't a a sign of of that the United States government hasn't had ET contact, I don't know what is. You're talking about the Gordon Cooper yes. incident, where yeah, yeah. You know, Holloman. That's not the only time that Holloman was visited. There's at least five other encounters uh, where Holloman was, was um, they went on lockdown. There were explosions over Holloman. Um, they believed that, was that where this story that Eisenhower supposedly met the aliens in 54? Was that Holloman? I believe so. Yeah, there's, there's at least five different uh, reports from Holloman. Also, um, uh, there's a couple of other Air, Air Force bases, too, where there's multiple sightings. So I, I definitely think the United States has known for a long time what's going on. 
Do you think the United States government has made contact? I certainly do. Yes, I believe that. Have you ever when, ta- have you ever talked to any sources that have confirmed that? No, I have not. Um, and to a certain extent, uh, I go back like historically. We were just uh, Mr. Grohl was just talking about. Um, Ben Rich, when I was talking about it, when you listen to him, when you listen to Werner von Braun talk about we had help developing the rocket, uh, it leads me to believe that uh, there are competing interests, that competing governments, possibly as far back as the Nazis, uh, are being visited by possibly different groups of competing interests. What do you mean by different groups competing for different interests? Well, it seems that if you go, there's a, there's an incident in 1967 where uh, the United States military uh, was informed that uh, two MiG fighter jets engaged, Cuban fighter jets engaged uh, UFOs over Cuba, and the UFO blew them out of the sky. There are other accounts where the uh, USS Leonard Mason was off the coast of Canada and their new GPS coordinate system, a precursor to the GPS system we use today, this is back in 1964, they were given a set of coordinates, they went to the location, they were met by a UFO and they were given some sort of information when they got back to port the men in black came on with an armed escort of uh, Marines and removed all of the equipment what it suggests to me is that the uh, agents didn't like Cubans and communists and that they seem to be siding with the United States at least in this one particular case very interesting we have about a minute to go here before we got to go to break at the bottom of the hour. I mean, the fact that contact may have been made, do you think then that we do have subject craft for testing and or crash retrievals? Uh, Personally, I do. Do I have information? Definitely. When you talk, ask me before about a source, I know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody that um, Mr. Bigelow has this warehouse that probably does have something, and I, I, the, the source is, is pretty reliable. So, uh, yes, and I think that if, if, say, Mr. Bigelow, for example, does have something, he's a private contractor, so the United States government can always do plausible deniability. Right. All right. So I I think that we do have crash material. I definitely believe that. And we're going to leave it right there. Bob, hard to believe we're already 90 minutes in. We got Bob Spearing, International Director for MUFON, for another 30 minutes here on Spaced Out Radio. We're going to get to your questions when we return. What a great show so far. Do you believe we've made contact? Could be. Spaced Out Radio continues right after this. I had a buddy of mine in the formerly a Canadian Navy, and he was telling me this going back to I think about 1981 or 83, and the ship he was on, he was on the night uh, shift uh, doing navigation, and th- this is where they still did navigation with the old uh, the old maps and the and the uh, what kind of pens were those uh, those oil pens. You know, like mm-hmm. chalk pens and everything like that. And he said they followed, they had a 
craft, even though they couldn't see it, they could see it on radar that was following them up towards Alaska and doing the exact same knots. And then this thing all of a sudden decided it was pulling ahead and it went about 20 knots or 20, 30 miles ahead of them. And then it just sank right into the ocean. And they knew it wasn't whales because whales don't mm-hmm. travel that fast. And they knew, and they were just uh, told by their their uh, their naval officers, and I apologize, I don't know the rank, uh, to just shut up about it. Don't say anything. You didn't see anything, man. You didn't see anything. Yeah, I, I, I have dozens of those stories from the Vietnam War where they've seen uh, massive egg-shaped objects coming out of the Pacific Ocean, uh, where they've seen them going into the Pacific Ocean. Uh, it was a, a dirty little secret at the time that the United States ships in the, the Gulf of Tonkin and the South China Sea were carrying nukes. Nobody knew that till the uh, Pentagon Papers came out, yet... Time after time after time, these sailors who reported these things in the CMS to MUFON uh, said, I was on the bridge of such and such ship uh, on a forklift uh, loading nuclear missiles into the hull when this object, this triangular object came and hovered over me and we got so scared we left the forklift. Raising Cane's wants to help you get extra saucy this Mardi Gras. Stop by Cane's and pick up a doubloon for just $1. Then present the doubloon on all of your visits through April 6th for a free cane sauce with any purchase. Let the sauce and good times roll. Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. One love. <laughs> the balloons available to purchase 123.23 through 221.23. Redemption of offer valid 123.23 to 4623 at participating restaurants while supplies last. Limit one extra cane sauce with purchase per day. Raising Cane's is bringing the party this Mardi Gras with tailgates full of cooked-to-order chicken fingers and jugs of freshly squeezed lemonade and freshly brewed tea. Order online or in the app today. Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. One love. ...ran away. So whoever these people are over these United States battleships in 1967 knew we had nukes when the rest of the world didn't. All right? So... They, whoever they are, they're surveilling us. In 1952, like I said before, the SAC Air Force bases, the year we developed the hydrogen bomb and tested it, they were all over our SAC bases on our runways. It's, it's scary. Very true. Very true. Did you ever hear about, and I've only seen this story in a couple places, you ever hear the story about a B-52 in a bomber in Vietnam that either got shot down or taken out by a UFO? No, I, I know that there was two incidents. One was an Australian ship, the Hobart, that was possibly taken out by a UFO, and uh, a gunship incident uh, in the Mekong River, where uh, uh, some some PT boats were under heavy fire, and lightning strikes just came out of the sky and and blew these. Uh, Viet Cong junks out of the water and it was not American uh, or allied intervention. Wow. So I never heard the B-52 story, but I, I, I know that um, the, the the Australian ship, the Hobart, may have been attacked uh, by a UFO and that a UFO may have helped uh, United States PT boats. 
and it, there's also the, the the Richard Haynes account from the Korean War, where a group of soldiers on the ground saw this object hovering. They called in and asked for permission to shoot it. They shot it. They heard the ding bounce off it. It shot a ray at them. They all got sick and had to be medevaced out. That's a very very famous. Um, violent story, violent encounter with the UFO during the Korean War. Wow. Wow. What about uh, the Battle of Los Angeles? That's another interesting one, too, because they said that they that people got killed on the ground. They shot so many shells at the thing. There's another story the next day where apparently there may have been a downed UFO that the army recovered and there's people that believe it may have been the object from the battle of los angeles that it was um it was damaged and that it did crash and that it was uh, retrieved by the united states army i'd never heard that part never heard that part. I, if i can find it i have it in my files somewhere i'll try to find it and send it to you that'd be awesome that would be awesome thank you I appreciate that. There's another thing. Another person enhanced that photograph. And within the spotlights, there are actually little globe-shaped objects that seem to be associated with the larger object, like uh, a mothership and, and smaller drones. All right. Uh want to say a big thank you to Stacy, Louie, Times 3, Greg, Pete, and Deb for the Super Chats. Very much appreciate the love and support, everyone. Thank you so, so much. We're going to get going here with the next half hour and five seconds. Make sure you check the ticker for information on Vegas. And we need to get some numbers in going pretty quick here. past the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the news wire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Final time tonight from MUFON, International Director Bob Spearing is with us. We're going to get some audience questions for you here, Bob, because they are really building up. I hope you don't mind. Nope, let's do it. All right. Brown Dwarf is asking... Bob, have you ever experienced mind speak when observing orbs? No, I have not. I know that there are many cases uh, in the CMS alone and, and other places where people have had telepathic communication with orbs uh, where they would ask the orb, blink off, blink on, come close, whatever with their mind, and the orb would interact with those people. There was also a fellow uh, in California uh, who used to claim that he was able to summon orbs, and a uh, Las Vegas news crew took him up on the offer, and they became quite frightened when he was able to uh, telepathically communicate and
and summon orbs. So I do believe that communication with orbs is possible, but I've never had that experience. Right. All right. Let's continue on. AJ is asking, so I'm from northern Utah. Do you think Area 52 has anything to do with so many sightings here? Oh, I don't know. I'm not familiar with Area 52. Um, I would. I know there's several up to Area 54, I believe. Um, I do not know what's going on in northern Utah or in Colorado. Uh, there seems to be a lot of drone activity, but nobody seems to be able to find out who uh, this drone activity is from, which makes you wonder if it's drone activity at all. But other than that, I, I, I can't answer that question. Yeah, they're talking about Dugway. Oh, Dugway. We just we had a really good case from Dugway where uh, a guy uh, was watching what seemed to be an experimental aircraft at Dugway a while ago. This is like several years ago, but it's in our CMS system. And each night it got closer and closer to them, and they just assumed it was a craft that was being tested. Uh, then one night it apparently blew up. And they were summoned to there was the, the base went on lockdown. Dugway went on lockdown. They were brought into a decontamination room, and their clothes were burned, and they had to be scrubbed down. So I don't know, maybe it was something nuclear, or whatever. But it was a very, very, very unusual report out of Dugway. Dugway is a very, very mysterious place. Um, so I believe that a lot of weird stuff goes on there. Mark is wondering, Bob. Can you give us more info about red orbs and some of the sizes? The I, I've done a lot of uh, work studying orbs and things that aren't orbs, like Chinese lanterns, for example. What I have found is that the majority of reports in the CMS suggest that most orbs are between three and five feet. Sometimes people who have experienced uh, abductions from their bedroom uh, say that the orbs are sometimes the size of a quarter and that there are other reports especially in that book that i mentioned at the beginning of the show by terry ray about the history of orbs where people have claimed that sometimes orbs are 800 feet wide or more wow wow that's a lot that's a lot okay let's move on tony in the united kingdom is there any correlation with certain shaped craft and certain beings during abduction scenarios? Well, I mentioned before that um, uh, uh, the triangle sightings with the blue beams, there, there seems to be a correlation with grays. Uh, historically, uh, disks have been the shape that people claim when they're inside the UFO on a table, the 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 walls of the room are rounded. There's a glow from the room from light that they can't find. It would suggest that it's a circular craft in a lot of these cases when they're on a table surrounded by the small grays when the larger gray comes in for the face-to-face -face contact. So I would say discs and triangles for sure. Very cool. All right, let's move on to Tony again. Are there many cases of my lab abduction scenarios that you've dealt with? You know, that's an interesting question. Uh, we get a, a lot of the ERT cases that we get are people claiming that they're victims of my lab. But 
in all of those cases, there really is no concrete uh, evidence that it's something that actually happened to them or if it was something psychically happened to them or if they, they're the victims of some sort of uh, external experimentation that has nothing to do with aliens at all. But we get we get a lot of people claiming that they're victims of my lab. Let's go to Gloria. What are your thoughts on the pyramids being built by aliens? I'll tell you something very interesting. On, on the Facebook groups, there's a lot of people who post this meme that the pyramids, uh, the latitude that the pyramid is built on is the ex- is, would be the exact speed of light in kilometers per second. Okay? So Snopes dot com the debunkers they said you know that's just you know pure coincidence but i said let me look into it and i'm going to be writing an article on this i said if the latitude might be the speed of light in kilometers per second which is interesting because uh the metric system wasn't invented till the 1700s 3500 years after the pyramids were born i says let me look at longitude and the longitude is like 31 point something something and i said that looks familiar and i took the decimal place and i moved it one place to the left and i came out with a number very very close to pi so i punched in pi as a longitude to compare it to the pyramids and it was within seven miles and then i read that the ancient egyptians got their calculation for pi from the babylonians and it's almost exactly the longitude that the pyramids was at so they were off by a little bit but you have the ancient equivalent of pi meeting the speed of light in kilometers per hour in a metric system that wasn't invented until 3500 years after the pyramids again i think there's some sort of time travelers trying to send us a message with the pyramids that was one of the things i was going to talk about too when i mentioned time travels the doug shelby is asking are you familiar with the UFO crash near Cape Girardeau, Missouri in 1941? If so, why is it never discussed? You know, I remember it, but it's so long ago that I've read about it. I really can't answer that. Um, I believe there was crash debris, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I, I don't know. I, that's so long ago when I read that. I really can't answer that. It does seem, though, that a lot of big name cases like that do seem to get swept under the rug, though. Yeah, there's a bunch of interesting things. Were there, you know, alien bodies at the Capitol building in the basement? Remember that story from the 40s? Did uh, President Nixon actually bring Jackie Gleason to Andrews Air Force Base in, you know, Florida to show him that alien? I mean, there's enough of those stories going around that you have to say uh, it's definitely possible. Jackie Gleason was freaked out you know, for weeks after that. So, yeah, you wonder why they bury the old the old stories. I, I'm a historian with, with, with a lot of these old cases looking for patterns from the old days, and a lot of forgotten cases do correlate to other cases. So that's interesting that, that you think that it, it might be swept under the rug. Let's go back to Tony in the UK. What is your thoughts about MIBs, men in black? Whose side are they on? Who are they? You know, when I was a kid, I read uh, This Haunted Planet by John Keel, and I always had the impression when I was a kid that the men in black may have been some sort of, you know, 
reanimated or mechanical some sort of entities that you know they talked funny they dressed oddly they drove cars that seemed you know 20 years out of style but when you read a lot of the military encounters that uh, servicemen from the Vietnam War especially report it makes me think that they're plainclothes CIA agents do you think there are alien MIB as well if you want my opinion, I'd say no. I think they're government. That's that's just my opinion based on the, the military ship reports that I have in my collection. Makes sense. Who do you think runs the MIB on a human side? Would it be NRO, CIA, NSA, DOE, DOD? Um. I'd say it's it's probably uh, CIA. There's there's another one that we're, another DO that I'm forgetting. Uh, it's not the DOD, uh, but I, yeah, it's got to be NSA. Or back in World War II, what was the CIA called? The Reconnaissance Office, Office of Reconnaissance, and it changed its name to the CIA, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, it's definitely some sort of of uh, you know MI6 CIA type type group. Excellent. Excellent. All right, let's continue on here. Doubleday is asking, have you ever had any reports describing the UFO as a holographic cube type object? Interesting you say that. The person who would be able to answer that pretty well would be Katie Page. Uh, she actually saw what you're asking, uh, and I've had discussions with her, and I've actually sent her several similar uh, cube-type object reports, even reports where the cubes disappear right in front of people's uh, faces. So, yeah, I definitely believe that that is one type of uh, encounter that people have, and that Katie Page is, is probably a really good expert to ask about that. Excellent. Let's go to Derek Galloway here. What are your thoughts on the Calvin photograph in the Scottish Highlands? To me, best photo I've ever seen. Do you have any more details? Calvin. No, I, it, it was interesting that for decades, all they had was a photostat of the photograph. And then mysteriously, um, they were able to track down one of the, the several photographs uh, in like an obscure place. I forget the doctor, the, the ufologist who, who found that he wrote a, a, a long, lengthy article on it. Um, I think it's legitimate. Uh, I think it's a very interesting photograph. I, I think that there's more to the story that we don't know as to how they found this photograph after decades. Uh, but there's also uh, there's also an old uh, experimental American aircraft that was sort of shaped like that, and I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. But when you compare uh, photographs from from the Calvine photo, the object, to some of the experimental aircraft that the United States was working on in the '60s and '70s, there is a similarity. So I don't think it's it's impossible that it was some sort of um, terrestrial experimental aircraft, but I do believe it's a legitimate photograph excellent okay we have run through uh most questions here let's get a tim othman here and let's ask him what about rectangular craft we have a lot of reports um in the cms of rectangular craft sometimes i think uh people might be looking at a triangular craft at an odd angle but then people have drawn 
Uh, and I, I personally like the illustrations that some witnesses make better than some of the photographs we get. And when people draw a, 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 an illustration of these rectangles and they show that there are four perimeter lights on it, there's no doubt in my mind that these people are seeing uh, rectangles. And if you did a search by uh, craft shape, all right, in the CMS, you would see that there's far more rectangles than you would believe. If you're not a MUFON member and you go to the uh, Peter Davenport site, New Fork, which is a free database to look at, you can look up uh, craft type and, and, and punch in rectangle, and you can see just how many rectangular craft reports there are. There's quite a few. Oh, man. Man, I, I don't know what I would do if I saw a rectangle. I've seen three triangles now. Three triangles, but a rectangle, I mean, that, that stuff's not supposed to fly there, Bob. It's mm-hmm. not supposed to fly. Oh, a lot of these things are not aerodynamical, so there's got to be some sort of exotic propulsion system to them, like anti-gravity or something. I would say so, too. I would say so, too. In your best estimate, how many people do you think are getting taken per year? That's a good question. Uh, you know, if this, if I'm not incorrect, isn't the statistic that 800,000 people a year worldwide disappear and are never found again? Not murdered, no, not wh- found in this world. Yes, just, something like that. Just, just gone. So uh, I think that, you know, at, over decades, I think that it's quite possible millions of people may have experienced uh, some sort of abduction, whether physical or psychic. See, in here, I thought it was Elon Musk stealing them from Mars. <laughs> did you did you ever hear the story about um, Werner von Braun's novel, where uh, uh, the leader of a group who calls himself the Elon saves Earth by colonizing Mars? And Werner von Braun wrote this book before Elon Musk was ever born. Wow! No, I've never heard that. Yeah, that's you can find that very easy on the internet right now. So how, if you believe in the secret space program, how do you think we're getting up there? Is it through these black triangles that we hear so much about? I definitely think so. Uh, it, it, what's interesting, if, if you use anti-gravity, that would give you the ability to fly a craft in, in the atmosphere or outside the atmosphere. And you, the, the speed you could achieve could be incredible without it crushing a human say you know some of these objects and i'm going back to the 1950s and 60s where these things were tra- these ufos were tracked on radar at 8 to 18,000 miles per hour and if we were the united states was uh, working on exotic propulsion systems before world war 2 i do not think it's inconceivable that we have craft that can uh, achieve you know the speed and needed to break out of the Earth's atmosphere like in seconds, in seconds, 25,000 miles per hour. Do you think we personally have a craft right now that can go that speed? Yes, I do. And, uh, you know, when I started in in, uh, MUFON as a field investigator in New Jersey, the amount of triangular craft reports you get out of McGuire Air Force Base area and all the way out to sea at Atlantic City, New Jersey, there's definitely a connection to triangular craft and McGuire Air Force Base, without a doubt. Without a doubt. That would make sense. I mean, because 
if let's say you have craft station at Area 51, you have the west coast of the United States protected, and that would give a great place for the east coast to be protected as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if, if you ever heard the story about the dead alien on the runway at McGuire, all right, there are now up to six uh, correlating witnesses to that case, sons of children of MPs, a retired MP, uh, a, a medevac driver who's driving the ambulance, uh, George Filer, the, the, the lieutenant who uh, was informed of it uh, that morning. So there's a lot of strange stuff goes on at McGuire. There's also another entity. Four juicy Raising Cane's chicken fingers, Texas toast, fries, coleslaw, and the secret cane sauce that makes the perfect box combo. One love, ready to go. Raising Cane's chicken fingers, one love. <laughs> Raising Cane's wants to help you get extra saucy this Mardi Gras. Stop by Cane's and pick up a doubloon for just $1. Then present the doubloon on all of your visits through April 6th for a free cane sauce with any purchase. Let the sauce and good times roll. Raising Cane's chicken fingers, one love. <laughs> Doubloons available to purchase 123.23 through 221.23. Redemption of offer valid 123.23 to 4623 at participating restaurants while supplies last. Limit one extra cane sauce with purchase per day. Report at McGuire where an entity escaped. So there's something going on at McGuire, and McGuire does have nukes. Wow. Well, we got five minutes to go with you tonight. Bob, I mean, this is flying on by, and what a great night it's been. I want to get to a, another question here from our audience, and I'm not sure you're going to be able to answer this one, but Mark is wondering, do you think there is some sort of galactic federation out there? You know, I, I, it's, I think it's possible. You know, a lot of people, you know, who claim that they've had contact with Ashtar and Ashtar Command, and I've spoken to some of these people, and they really, truly believe that they speak with, with emissaries from Ashtar Command. I, you know, uh, do I think it's conceivable? Yeah. Uh, I do think that there's competing interests here on Earth, some with, with good motives, some with bad. So, I, I, you know, I mentioned before about the MiGs getting shot down and seeming cooperation with the United States. Uh, you know, if there is some sort of galactic federation out there. I also think that there's a Klingon empire also. What do you think of uh, some of these videos that have come out of the International Space Station? About a year and a half ago, there was the Russian cosmonaut that claimed to film a checkmark shape of UFO lights. And then recently, uh, and I'm not sure if this video is, if you've seen this video or not, but it's making the rounds, and I'm not sure about this one, but it shows one of the ISS cameras and what looks to be three black triangles racing in the opposite direction. Have you seen that video? No, but if you knew how many um, ISS videos people submit to MUFON, it'd spin your head, and we really can't investigate them. We, we pretty much classify them as information only. There's a fellow, Glenn Green, who uh, interested in analyzing those videos. But I will tell you a story. Uh, there's a, a, a MUFON person in New Jersey who is friends with an astronaut who was on the ISS, and that astronaut told him that he saw something out the window and that um, 
ground ground control had him film the object for almost 40 minutes so that i have on on really good authority actually happened that an astronaut filmed 40 minutes of an unknown object outside the uh, iss wow that's incredible that is absolutely incredible Bob, we've got about two and a half minutes with you tonight, and I want to say a big thank you for you coming on Spaced Out Radio. We had a lot of fun tonight. I, I told you right before the show, this show would whip on by. Yes, it did. It went by very fast. You know, fast. I never spoke for two hours before, so thank you. You made it easy. I appreciate that. Well, we do. We try and do our best around here, show some sort of uh, you know professionalism in broadcast entertainment. You know, that's what we, we try and do. But, you know, I, I really hope to uh, get the opportunity to meet you again and and to, you know, head out to a MUFON conference and, and shake your hand. I mean, you know, for all the ribbing that MUFON does get, and I see it in our audience all the time, there are great people such as yourself or Katie Page or people like Shane Hurd or Jeremy uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of people around North America that are just high-quality people all searching for the same type of answers. And I want to commend you for your hard work with MUFON regarding that, my man. Thank you, sir. I I really appreciate that. If you saw the qualifications of the people who are field investigators at MUFON, uh, biologists, geologists, former special ops uh, engineers, you'd be amazed. And I don't know why MUFON doesn't publish that more to show that we really do use the scientific method some people make us look like you know we're amateurs but if you saw the resumes of some of our field investigators you'd be in awe of their qualifications oh yeah i and and i'm sure we would be what's up next for you heading into deeper of 2023 i'm speaking at a couple of um conventions i'm speaking in philly in may I'm speaking out in Arizona in July, and I always, each year, give the last presentation of the MUFON Symposium, where I do MUFON's top five cases of the previous year. So that is, again, August 25th to the 27th. The MUFON conventions are great. Uh, Everybody has a good time. The speakers this year are going to be excellent. I can't tell you who they are. But um, it's really worth it to go to a MUFON convention. And if you're interested in being a field investigator, uh, on August 24th, on Thursday, uh, we have field investigator training all day. So that's my plug for the MUFON symposium. I do the last uh, presentation of the symposium, and I hope I see all of you there. Bob, what a pleasure to get this one-on-one time with you tonight, my friend. I know you stayed up late for us. Uh, you know, being on the East Coast, but we really do appreciate your time, my man, and we're going to do this again. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much, Dave. It was an honor. Bob Spearing, MUFON's international director. His wife, Brill, creamed his hair just perfectly for tonight's interview. Coming up next, we're going to head to the swamp. Then, Big Tex is filling in for Super Duke on the Cryptid Report. He's got some cool Sasquatch evidence next on Spaced Out Radio. Great job, Bob. Great job. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dave. I hope you can make it out to uh, Covington, Kentucky in, in, in August.
All right. Um, and I'll try to find that crash after the Battle of Los Angeles because now you got me thinking about it where I, oh, where I saw yeah. that report. My files. Yeah. So, okay. So that's it. That's it, my man. You go have a, a good night's sleep. And uh, once again, thank you so much on behalf of our audience for you staying up late for us, man. Thank you, guy. I appreciate it. We'll bye bye. We'll take care, Bob. That's Bob Spearing, everybody. I'm going to go fill up my iced tea. I'll be right back. Uh, Tex is uh, looking good. His beard looks fantastic. A1 shape tonight. A1 shape. I'll be right back.
cutting that one a little close. I'm sorry. Thank you to our super chatters, Derek, Stacy, Louis times three, Pete, Deb and Greg. And we want to see you all in Vegas, guys. May 19th through 21st. Check the ticker below if you're on our YouTube channel. We want to see you there. Here we go. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for joining us. We very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club, Lackalith. Lackalith is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets a password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the news wire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again where we head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. This happened to a friend of mine this past summer and myself. We decided to go to a more miniature graveyard out of town, maybe 20 miles away or so. He wanted to go to his uncle's gravestone and try to talk to him. I believe we did attempt to contact him in some way. We, of course, wouldn't trust just any spirit talking to us, and we didn't. We finished up our visit and eventually made our way back to the parking lot to start the truck, and as I tried to put it into drive... It just wouldn't move. It was not shifting anywhere out of park. Mind you, it's near 2am or so. It's in the middle of the night, pitch black in the middle of nowhere. We don't think about it and go about trying to diagnose the issue with the truck without finding any reasonable problems. At this point, the spirits in the graveyard are mostly leaving us alone. We called our buddy, who was nearly 40 miles out from us, to come pick us up. We both suddenly get this eerie feeling and can almost see all of these spirits in the graveyard start circling us. This was the first time that I had ever felt genuine fear of ghosts. Their energy was radiating negativity and was feeling as if it was growing and growing more powerful the more freaked out we got. I felt like I was being watched by a million eyes. Our friend, thank the lords, picked us up just before 3am hit. I would not want to know what would have happened or what we would have seen if we had been there for any longer, especially with the devil's hour coming very soon. We eventually did get the truck towed to a mechanic who said the damage on the line was going to the transmission and he had not ever seen anything like this before. Not normal wear or tear, it was like something had taken thousands of tiny little nails and were clawing at it. 
It's definitely interesting. I live in a small town in Oregon. It was isolated. Very little traffic traveled along the long, winding country roads. At the time, I was 14 years old, living on a farm with my parents, grandparents, cousins, and brother. The reason we all moved in together is something that I'd rather not get into. But needless to say, it could have been better. But we made the best of it. When most people think of Oregon, you probably think of places like Portland or Salem. But there is a whole other side to the state that is much less talked about. Beyond the cities are forests that stretch for miles and miles, sprawling with all forms of wildlife within its vast terrain. We've seen just about every wild animal the state has to offer. Instead, it'd be an elk crossing one of our pastures or a black bear hunting for food in the nearby ravine. However, nothing would compare to what my cousins and I saw just a few weeks ago. Allow me to introduce my cousins. Cade is age 14, Jack is age 16, and Mason is 20. We all decide to walk around our stables to check up on the horses. The stable was about a five minute walk from the farmhouse. It was about 6.30 p.m. when we set off and it was starting to get dark. On the way there, Cade pointed out something in the middle of the pasture. Hey, look, what is that? We all turned to see what he was talking about. There was a figure that resembled an abnormally tall man. Judging by the distance, it was at least eight feet tall. But something was off. It seemed to be hoisted atop a pole with its arms dangling. Since when did Grandpa start using scarecrows out here? That's what I guessed when I was first looking at it. Feeling a fear overcame the four of us. It was as if whatever was on that pole was waiting for us to make a move. Even Mason was spooked. I don't have a good feeling about this. I think we should turn back. We all retreated to the farmhouse. Mason turned back one last time before we could enter. What in the actual hell? He stammered as he pointed in the direction of the quote-unquote scarecrow. We looked back, and then we froze. The figure had somehow moved much closer to us. Much closer. It was now only about 50 feet away, and it was too noticeable for us to dismiss. We could now see certain features. The thing had a burlap sack on its head, and what looked like a bloody smile carved into it. It wore a ripped plaid shirt tucked into a black pair of jeans. Before we could even react, the scarecrow leapt down from the pole on all fours and began moving at us at a pace that was inhuman, that frightened the absolute daylight out of me. It uttered the most disturbing shriek I have ever heard. The four of us quickly made our way back to the farmhouse, practically shoving each other to get through the front door. Thankfully, we all managed to escape with our lives, but the story does not quite end here, no. We didn't know what to tell our grandparents, so we kept this to ourselves and hoped that the creature would never return. Later that night, we woke up to Mason, shouting and pointing at something outside the window. When we all got up to see what it was, whatever he saw was gone. It could have been a nightmare, but the fear I saw in his eyes told me it was that same creature we saw in the fields. We have since named it the Cornstalker. Something tells me that this is only the beginning. We are the only ones out here for miles and miles. Winter has arrived. We will likely be snowed in with nowhere to run. We hope it never returns, but I get the feeling that it's never quite left. And that's why we love the Swamp Dweller around here, kicking off third hour of each and every night here on Monday through Friday on Spaced Out Radio. Hey, if you love more of those stories, you can go to his YouTube channel. Listen to them for free. He's got thousands. Go to YouTube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads. Hit subscribe on his channel today. 
From the swamp to the forests, it is time for the Cryptid Report. Filling in for Super Duke, here's Big Tex. It's always glad to have you here, my friend, in your gorgeous beard, grown fully Texas style. We appreciate that. How you doing, my man? Good, brother. Good, brother. How you been, man? Uh, been busy. Been busy. I mean, if I if I had uh, the time to take a break, you know, I, I would probably just stand in the middle of the floor in my living room wondering what the hell I'm supposed to be doing. I got to tell you, I'm loving the jacket. Thank you. Thank you. I got this one for Christmas for my daughter, and uh, it looks good. I, I look good in blue. I look good. See, I can't rock a cowboy hat like you can, man. I can't do that. But I can rock a good blue jacket, that's for sure. Oh, you might be able to. We, we might can fit you up. If you can find something that will fit this size eight and a quarter head, I'd appreciate Four juicy Raisin Cane's chicken fingers. Garlicky buttered Texas toast, crispy crinkle cut fries, fresh coleslaw, and the secret cane sauce that makes the perfect box combo. We take pride in making the best chicken finger meals. One love, ready to go. And you can taste it in every bite. Raisin Cane's chicken fingers, one love. <laughs> Four juicy Raisin Cane's Chicken Fingers, Texas Toast, Fries, Coleslaw, and the secret cane sauce that makes the perfect box combo. One love, ready to go. Raisin Cane's Chicken Fingers, one love. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll, no, we'll figure it out, man. I may I may bring you one to Vegas. Oh, are, are you coming? It sounds like it. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, that's, that's a breaking news right there. Big Tex from Texas Front Porch coming to our Vegas party May 19th through 21st at the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas. We want to see you all there and hang out with us. I got to put you on the list then, man. I'm going to add you to the list. Yeah, it uh I've been I've been talking my wife into it, talking my wife into it and and uh I think I, I think I got her swung I think I got her swung in the right direction. She's been wanting to go back to Vegas, so Beauty. I said, you ain't gonna hang out. You ain't gonna hang out with me and all the weirdos, you know. Talking <laughs> the other weirdo. Oh, I hear you, baby. I, I hear you. Well, you know what? It's still snowing up here, Tex. And uh, you know, I can't get to my my areas where I need to get. So I'm on hiatus until at least April right now, before I could restart my cryptid. But down where you are. Because there is no such thing as snow, you you're literally uh, getting you're you're right into the thick of things right now. What's going on, man? I tell you what, we had an outing uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was crazy. We we were out there for three days and two nights, and it was a short one, but um, we got some of the best hard evidence that I've ever seen. No, and it, it just it blew us away. I I presented it on my channel the other day. I actually did a live show 
uh, from my research area out there in Brown Springs. Um, I did a two-hour show up in the up in the middle of the cemetery in in the dark by myself, and uh, um, I ended up bringing something home with me, and uh, <laughs> I'm not real happy about it. Did did Bigfoot maybe uh, uh, you know have their way with you or uh, not no, very romantic? The poison ivy. The, the poison ivy did. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm a. You may have seen me squirt, spray my arm. I've I've got it here. I've got it here. I've got it. Oh, I've got wow. it here, <laughs> down here on my thigh. It ate me up, man. I was. I had to do a little brush whacking to get out of the thick stuff where I was and. I didn't even I didn't even think about it being up there for this time of the year, but it ain't really been cold down here yet, so Well, you know what? Hey at least it gave you something. A beautiful reminder of nature being a <laughs> yeah. pain in the butt, that's for sure. Boy, you ain't kidding. But uh no, we uh we had quite a eventful weekend down there or you know, a couple of days down there. And uh I brought the evidence with me. So we, we can, we can show that, um, the, uh, the, the two hour show that I did live from the cemetery, um, there was actually some, um, um, voices that were caught, um, by the audience while we were, while we were live. Um, so anybody wants to go back and listen to that and pick that apart. I'm not saying there wasn't on Sunday. There wasn't, I didn't hear nothing, you know, so but they did over the over the broadcast so that was pretty interesting but uh when we got <laughs> the first night we went up there um we had all kinds of tools with us and uh we had a Geiger counter with us we had a spectral uh, spectrometer with us we had um EMF meters we had an e, um and we had readings on all of it i've never it never occurred to me that the Geiger counter would go off and it only went off in front of a certain grave. And we sat there and watched the meter tick up, tick up, tick up, tick up. And it got to the equivalent of, wasn't nothing dangerous, but it got up to the equivalent of when, if you put the meter in the microwave, that's a reading you would get. So it was very interesting and it was nowhere else. We, uh, we got, um, infrasound readings on our spectrometer throughout the graveyard um and down at camp so we did we don't um we don't know what was causing it uh, we're still breaking a lot of evidence down um but when we got down back to the trucks is when we got the really big surprise we had handprints all over both of our trucks no and uh what kind they of were, we compared them. <laughs> they're not human, and I've got them queued up, and I'll show you. I'll, I'll, you want me to get into them real quick? We've got eight minutes before the break here, and so yeah. But what we got to do is we got to make sure that we break them down for our radio audience as well. We can do that. All right. What we're looking at. What we're looking at here is a. A palm and, and, and fingers on, on the hood of a truck. And that we've got a flashlight up there we were using for scale. 
that flashlight is under six inches long. So these 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 handprints are quite a bit smaller than anyone on the crew, and they're fresh. We were camped four miles away from where these handprints appeared on our trucks, and you drive down a white gravel road. Okay, so you get a fresh dusting of white on your truck every time you go. Um, so you can see very, very plainly when you, if somebody makes a fresh print. And uh, so, uh, let's see, let me get to another one here. The uh, If you look at this one, the uh, look at where the thumb's placed versus it's it's weird because this is the index finger but we tried to we tried to recreate these with our own hands and the thumb is just like way too low it's positioned way too low um same thing with this one it's you can really see it here this is the pads of of, of where your the base of your fingers and then your fingers the fingers are way up here so the fingers are really long and the thumb is, is placed way down here at an odd angle. Now, there again, we've got the flashlight here, which is under six inches. So this is a, a relatively small handprint. Like I said, everybody's hands on the crew were bigger than these. And also on these, instead of wiping the dust off, they're actually muddier than or dirtier than the rest of the truck. And... We had, of course, the spring, freshwater spring is down there. And what was odd, the first night we found these handprints on the trucks, and, and it was it was pretty cool. The second night, after I did my solo trip up to the cemetery, my phone died, and uh, the evac team came up to make sure I was okay. When we got back down, we found another series of prints on the trucks. And... We also found that the Yeti cooler, a Yeti bear-proof cooler that was in the back of um, Ranger's truck had been opened. And nothing was taken. In, in, in the rush to come up and make sure I was okay, they bolted. They, left, they didn't lock the truck up. They left the keys in the truck. Um, right behind the cooler was a bag with all kinds of camera gear and everything else in it. None of that was disturbed. The only thing was it looked like some something or somebody had scooped water out of the cooler and taken a drink and spilled water and pieces of ice on the back of the tailgate. There were two handprints on the top of the truck cab, like something was um, leaning on the truck cab and watching. Um, what we surmise is when they took off these critters, whatever they were, we think they were juvenile Bigfoot. I've talked to Duke about it and compared to handprints and everything. The closest we can come to what these handprints look like are gorilla-like. Wow. Um, but like I said, down here, if you look at the thumb, see how far, the, how far down the thumb is? Yeah. From the red, it, that's, that's not human. That, it's, you can't do that. Because your your finger your hand will not spread like that. The uh, 
the the ice chest was closed, but it wasn't latched. And like I said, there's nothing else missing. There wasn't even any drinks missing out of it. Just water had been scooped out and spilled on the truck. Um, there's another shot of another handprint, and 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 there again, you, you see where the thumb is placed. You know, and it's just not. It, it just doesn't add up. It we could not with our hands recreate the handprint. We we tried. We couldn't do it um, physically. Um, this one is my favorite. You see the handprint. Now these, this is on my truck. The handprint is a little bit bigger than the ones on the other truck, but they were still smaller than all of ours. And there again, you can see where the thumb is placed. Now, if you look at this, these smudges down below it, this is, if you look, and I'll, I'll zoom it in here, that was not made by skin. That is hair. That is a forearm. And right back over here, we didn't get it in this picture, but right back to the right, you can see where the elbow was. So what they did, whatever this thing was, and I feel it was a juvie, um, juvenile Sasquatch. I'm not saying it absolutely was. We can't, we didn't see it make, it make the print. But what they did was they laid their elbow and their forearm and their hand on there at the same time. Now, what's peculiar about all of these is every one of them is reaching up, okay? We don't drive jacked up four-wheel drives. They're stock four-wheel drive trucks. They're not that high. Whatever these creatures were, were reaching up. So they were very short. And if you measure... And we did, we took, we tried, we measured against our forearms, you know, tried to get the uh, proportions on this particular, you know, print. That forearm from the elbow to the hand is a lot longer than even ours. And the handprint's smaller, but we couldn't, we couldn't span the elbow and the forearm length. So the forearm, the lower arms are a lot longer than a human's. So we're, <laughs> and that happened two night, two nights in a row to us. Goodness. Goodness. I got to ask you with any of these fingerprints that are on the truck, these dust prints, did it leave uh -huh. any of the fingerprint in, in the areas? Let me show you this. Let's see. We got that? about a minute to go here before we go to break. That gummit, where's that? Well, I can zoom in here and you can see right up top. the fingerprint themselves. There it is. Yep. That is definitely They're all like that. They they are all like that. You can there's one set we're zoomed in on, and that's the elbow print. And you can still see it's hairy, you know? And I'm a hairy guy. I mean, and I, I, I didn't leave a print like that. So, but all of these, you can zoom in and see the prints, you know? I mean, it, it's... They were not made by some glove. Oh, well, that, 
that was found on the mirror from the when they got uh, Ranger and his partner got back to their hotel the second night. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, <clears throat> nothing so. scary about that. Big text. I'm going to get you to hold on right there. We are going to go to break here at the bottom of the hour. When we return, text from Texas front porch on YouTube. We'll go over this incredible potential Sasquatch evidence of handprints all over their trucks. Yeah, Space Out Radio continues right after this. <coughs> hmm. This is incredible stuff here, Tex. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going to keep yeah, my... Go. I, I, I got a bunch of questions for you. Yeah, that's what I wanted to see right there. Yeah. I mean, it's, like I said, it is the best, some of, if not the best, hard evidence that's ever came out of that area. The only thing that's I, I think is um, even comparable is uh, a hair sample that was taken out of there. And I, I haven't heard the results on that one yet. Right. But, uh, yeah. And we've got pictures of footprints and everything else, but this to me, this in, you know, pictures and, you know, audio and, and I'm a big audio fan, but, uh, this just absolutely blew me out of the water. You know, this is not a, you know, this is not a blob squat squatch picture. This is, I don't, there's nobody drawing red circles around it. There's none of that. This is to me, almost irrefutable evidence, you know, irrefutable evidence. Um, but whatever they were, were short. Because they were having to reach up and touch the side of my pickup. Definitely so, juvenile type. Yeah. And like I said, I talked to Duke because he's got a lot more experience with the little folk than I do. And I thought, well, I want to, to rule those out or if that's what we've got we need to know what we're dealing with and uh i showed them to him and and, and explained to him and everything and and uh he said well they're they're not little folk pictures the the, the prints those are the he he said those look like juvenile sasquatch to me and like i said we went through a series of prints hand prints um and we're lucky we've got, we've got three expert trackers on the team. So we sat down and we went through all these different handprints of different, you know, of people and animals and all this kind of stuff. And the closest we could find were gorilla because of the offset of the thumb and everything. Right. So, but there was at least two of them. There could have been more, but I mean, we, we've, I think we distinguished there was three distinct sets, different sets of prints for sure, but there could have been a lot more. I mean, these prints were all the way around our trucks, all the way around our trucks. Well, hold off on that for just a couple of seconds here. Cause I want to make sure we get that full statement when we come back for our radio audience. No, no problem. Yeah. How long were you gone from your truck at this point? About 30 minutes. Wow. Wow. And there was, 
no other people around. This was, you know, and it was dark and there was no moon, you know, it was, it was dark. I mean, there was a little bit of a crescent moon, but that was about it. And it was cloudy. So it's, we're really excited about it. I uh, would we're going be too. Back in February. And how far we're away is this? Back lo- and- how far away is this location from your, from your home? Oh, about an hour or so. Not too bad then. No, not at all. Um, I go. It's it's the same research area I've been going to for years. Right. You know? And uh, it's uh, it's the first time I've ever gotten anything like this. I've had rocks thrown at me. I've had you know I got plenty of audio and all that kind of stuff, and I've had sightings. But it's uh, you know, the sightings are unless you get them on film, it's really not. You know, it's just a story. But um, yeah, this. This is something completely different. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would have loved to walk down and find a handprint that was twice our size, but I think these are just as exciting as those would be. You know? Oh, totally, dude. That's rocking it. That's totally rocking it. Uh, so we are definitely on. I just want to say thank you to Strange Times 2, Derek, Stacy, Louie Times 3, Deb, Pete, and Greg for the Super Chats tonight. It's a wonderful way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis, so thank you so, so much. And be like Tex here. Meet us in Vegas for the second annual fan party, May 19th through 21st. If you can't make it there, I will be in San Francisco, March 17th through 19th for UFO Con 2023. I'd love to meet up with our fans there as well. Tickets are on sale now. Here we go. Heading for home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go. Continuing the cryptid report, filling in for Super Duke, we have big text from the YouTube channel Texas Front Porch, and we're going over these interesting fingerprints that he found on his truck. During a Sasquatch investigation and paranormal investigation, somewhere in the bayous of northern Texas, <laughs> southern Louisiana, I'm going to assume. Texas, Actually, Oklahoma. no, it's, it's Oklahoma. Okay. Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Right on the Red River. Very nice. There's still gators there. That's all that matters. Oh, oh yeah. There's gators all over. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, once again, Tex, uh, I'm like you, man. I'm a meal. 
four juicy Raisin Cane's chicken fingers, garlicky buttered Texas toast, crispy crinkle cut fries, fresh coleslaw, and the secret cane sauce that makes the perfect box combo. We take pride in making the best chicken finger meals. One love, ready to go. And you can taste it in every bite. Raisin Cane's chicken fingers, one love. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So i just not going to enter that area. <laughs> oh, come on now. You you need to come down and go out with us. I'd love to. I would love to. I, I want to get to this uh, because you had uh, some incredible fingerprints that actually show dermal ridges and everything within them, and it's just absolutely phenomenal. Were there any footprints around your vehicles? Well, the problem is that area, we had been walking around that area so much that it was really hard to distinguish you know, anything. And we felt that anything that we may have gotten that way, as far as footprints wise, could have been contaminated. Um, because it's a sandy area, leaves great footprints. But, and honestly, by the time that we walked up to the truck, you know, we had already, there, there was three of us and on, on the second night, there was even more of us the first night. By the time we noticed the footprint, those fingerprints, we'd already trampled all everything that was useful if we, if there was any, you know? So what we're doing now that we've had this happen, um, we're taking drastic steps to, to not let that happen again. We're going to be, um, raking the area around our trucks before we leave. Um, and, we're going to have set protocols. We're writing out protocols on evidence collection on, you know, different types of evidence that we encounter um, to get rid of as much of the possible contamination that we can. Um, I thought about, you know, taking a sample of the water out of the cooler because you can pull DNA from that kind of stuff. But how reliable would it have been with all of us getting in the cooler, you know, over the course of time? So, but, you know, it's, there, there's steps that we can take to maybe even get better evidence next time. And like I said, we're going out next month. So now this is an area you've investigated before, as you were saying, Mm -hmm. and that area is known for Sasquatch activity. Yes, it is very much so. What other experiences have you had there? Well, we, <laughs> we've ran into a lot of the paranormal stuff up there. Um, hence the investigation in the, in the cemetery. Um, we've had, um, we had a weird experience up there. One of the craziest nights I've ever had up there. There were five of us that were up there. It was me and, uh, uh two ladies from what the paranormal 
and then our um, Gary Spikes senior and junior were up there and they encountered um, all simultaneously we had different encounters um, they were about 40 feet away from us something like that and they were encountering these cat-like beings that were coming out of the trees walking up on two legs getting down back on all fours and when they would hit them with a they hit them with a spotlight they disappear and they turn the light back off and it'd be right back where it was and they were approaching them at the same time we were getting paranormal readings in a family plot so it's there's all kinds of activity up there we we've we've um i've been talking to danielle um from your show um, we've been texting back and forth and, and she's been looking into this, you know, from the psychic side, medium side of it and, um, and tell me what, trying to tell me what I'm dealing with up there, because supposedly we've got a, um, a nasty, a nasty entity up there that is, um, controlling that area, holding these souls captive or something like that. So, um, we're trying to figure out how we can help them up there. And he's not, he, he doesn't like it. <laughs> He's not happy with us, evidently. So, uh, and that's good. You know, anytime I can ruin something, uh, an entity's like that day, I, I'm all for it. So, um, we're going to be looking more into that. Um, like I said, we've got a lot more tools to our, you know, in our tool belt now. We've got the Geiger counters, we've got the spectrometers, we've got the EMF meters, and, you know, we've got game cameras, we've got uh, night vision. Um, we're about to have a, hopefully if we can raise the money, we'll be getting a thermal soon. So we, uh, we actually had an experience of, uh, when we were up, when all of us were up there in the graveyard the first night, um, this last trip, they, um, Ranger and his partner had smelled flowers, but they didn't, they didn't tell us, and we were we were approached this this one girl's grave, and she's four years old, and uh, I guess I had a confused look on my face or something. Um, one of the other per- people that was with us, um, Virgil, he says, "Text what you feeling, man." I said, "It's not really a feeling." I said, uh, "I said I smell something," and and the, the reason that's odd is because I lost my sense of smell two years ago due to the c word. And so I don't smell anything and, but I was smelling something and Ranger goes, what's it smell like? Does it smell? I said, don't tell me what it smells like, you know? And I, I said, it smells like a, a clean, refreshing, soft smell. The problem is I've, I've, I haven't had my sense of smell for so long. I'm having to relearn when I do get a whiff of something, I'm having to relearn what that smell is. And that's, I was trying to describe it. Well, it turns out my partner that was with me at that point, um, was smelling lavender. Well, Gary senior was smelling perfume a flowery black perfume weird well it come come to find out um 
back in the day when a lot of these, because the youngest, the youngest grave on there, up there, the death date's 1924. So it's a lot of 1800, you know, people, 18 people that lived in the 1800s are buried up there. Yeah. And back then they used lavender and lilac a lot, you know? So it was odd to get that smell out of any smell I'm going to smell up there, you know? And so we had that happen. Um, like I said, we got some really strange readings on our, everything. Um, we had one, the EMF spiked right at a grave. And then a few minutes later, it was gone and it moved up to a tree right above the grave. And it was like in a two foot circle. If you got anywhere out of that circle, the meter went dead. But if you went inside that circle, it would spike. Right. And you didn't go poking around? Do what? You didn't go poking around to see if you could get more? No, we went all over the place. And that's the, that's how we narrowed it down to like a, a two-foot sphere, you know? Um, we poked around in every grave up there. And, uh, you know, we got hits on, on, on several of them. But it's ones that, you know, really in particular, I mean, when, when I said it spiked, it went off the scale as far as EMF goes. And then it would, it would leave and it would move to another place. Like, and the tree that was right next to the grave, but it it was, it moved up the tree. It was really, really strange. Hmm. But. So. And then. Sorry, go ahead. Of course we were. Oh, I, I was just going to say we were all up there that first night at the graveyard, probably a couple of hours, and then when we came back down is when we found we found the first set of handprints, right? And um, and then the second night we were only gone for about thirty minutes, and then we came back down and found them. Do you think it was all set up for you guys? Go there, check out the ghosts, come back, and now your car has been vandalized with. Sasquatch handprint graffiti. <laughs> um, I don't think uh, I, I'm, I hope I'm answering this question um, correctly. I don't think they're working in conjunction with each other. If that's what you mean. Um, that's one thing we're trying to figure out is why so many researchers are find are running into the paranormal when they're look when they're you know around these cryptids and vice versa because i i think we're dealing with a lot more entities out there than we think we are right i, I don't think a, everything we're seeing i don't think it's all sasquatch i think a lot of it pretends to be because it knows that we're out there and we want to see that kind of stuff and i think that's one of the dangers that we really have to look out for in the field because if these things get all they all they need is a little foothold, you know, a little chink in that yeah. armor is what I call it to get in there, you know. And uh, you, you really have to protect yourself, not only physically, but, you know, spiritually, I think, when you go up there and you do this stuff. Tex, I have um, some questions. Sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. I have some questions no, from ahead. our audience for you, if you don't mind. Well, go for it. Let's go with Nick here. Your buddy, my buddy, Nick, from the After Hours show. Mm-hmm. Fantastic hair on that kid. Oh, I'm so jealous of you. Oh, me too. Uh, would would <laughs> web cameras or probably game cameras? 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Cameras be worth bringing into that area? We, we've experimented with game cameras and we, we haven't caught anything. What we've had with game cameras is on one occasion we had, I think it was four or five game cameras set up at one point and we had an odd thing happen. I saw some odd stuff at one thirty in the morning and that's exactly when one of our game cameras glitched. It took fine pictures before and fine pictures afterwards, but at one thirty it glitched. Another another thing we had happen was at another campsite, we had, I think it was nine cameras set up down the trail for, uh, towards the river, and there was over a thousand images taken, and they were all black, by, by not just by one camera, all these cameras. And we had a camera set up closer to camp on a tripod that was looking at some food that we had set out for bait lack of a, of, for lack yeah. of a better term. The, nothing touched the food. I mean, nothing. Now, it, you know, varmints like, you know, raccoons and, and, uh, possums and, and, and armadillo, they're not shy. They'll come right up in the camp. I've had them walk. I've had them lick the, I've had raccoons lick the dew off the side of the tent where my head was sticking them, you know, and I've had them get into my coolers. They're not shy about coming into a camp. Nothing touched this food. And it was very aromatic food. It was what we'd had for dinner. Right. And the camera didn't get moved. It never shot an image. But the tripod was moved. No kidding. Yeah. By how far? So just a, uh, a couple inches, just to, enough to throw it off, but it had been moved. You could tell it had been moved. And the thing about it is we were all asleep, <laughs> you know, when that happened. Yeah. So I don't know. And, and we use, we use uh, what is called uh, PIR cameras, which are passive IR instead of the active IR. Now, the act, then I'll, I'll tell the, the, everybody the difference. For those of you who don't know, the active IR they they send out an IR signal, and when that when that's broke, that's when it triggers. That's the cameras that you get that take images of, le- of branches moving and all kinds of stuff. You know, the passive IR sense they they sense IR they they don't they won't not trigger until body heat of some kind or you know um, triggers it, so you don't get as many false readings with that. <clears throat> and they don't admit the IR. So we're trying to take out the the uh, possibility that, that I think is a very strong possibility that these creatures can see IR. Um, right. So we try to get, we're too. trying to, yeah, we're, we're trying to get, you know, take that out of the equation. Um, but we haven't had them work for us yet. All right. So let's get to another question. This one from Eric. What kind of spectrometer do you use in the field? 
You know what? It wasn't mine. I don't know what kind it was. Um, it, it senses ultra, ultrasound and infrasound. So that, that's that. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have a better question, a better answer. It works. Let's go to Hadley. What about the ranger station that's up in the hills in Oklahoma? I don't know. Um, I haven't been up there. Um, it's something I wouldn't mind checking out. Um, we're going to look into other parts of Oklahoma in the future. So maybe we'll, I can get around that and check that out. I'm sure there's more than just one. Uh, Eric is wondering if you could say your website or email address so he can ask you about the spectrometer. Sure. Um, it's, uh, paracrypted encounters at gmail.com or you can hit Rob up at, uh, beyond BMR at gmail.com and we'll get that information for you. Yeah. Perfect, man. Perfect. And I think we are caught up right until right now, but uh, Tex, when you go into this area, is it different every time you are there? It really is. It, it's, and it changes not by the day. I mean, by the minute. I mean, I've gotten to where I, I don't. I don't want to claim to be sensitive. Some people's told me I am. I, I don't. I don't call. I just get gut feelings. You know. I mean, I, I don't claim to be nothing special. But I've noticed because I've been up there so much that I'll get a I'll get a certain feeling, and I'll tend to run into cryptids. I'll get another feeling. I'll tend to run into paranormal. Sometimes it's just a walk in the woods. There's nothing there. And something else that was really odd that we we experienced this one trip, um, this last one. Right. The first day and the first day and night we were down there, it was absolutely quiet. It I, I we saw and this is a wildlife refuge area. We saw absolutely no wildlife. We didn't even hear no bugs, hardly any birds, nothing. The next day it was like somebody had opened a barn door and let everybody let everything out. <laughs> you know, birds were chirping and everything was going. And but that second night when I got up to the cemetery, everything was quiet again. And and we we experienced something else that uh, we we we've got to go figure out. The evac team was only like 152 100 yards away from me. When my camera died and I knew they were trying to locate me and find out if I was okay, I was trying to holler at them to let them know I was okay. They couldn't hear me. Were you and I di- was, and I hold on a second. Were you in a different dimension? I, brother, I don't know. <laughs> they could not hear me, and I was. They could not hear me until we until we got in the where we could see each other. And I was hollering at the top of my lungs, and I am not a quiet person. I was even doing, I was even doing, trying to do um, loud whoops because I figured if, if anything's going to travel, it's going to be that. And that would definitely get their attention, <laughs> you know? So aside from hollering their names, I'm doing loud whoops and they never heard any of it until we saw each other. No so kid. that's something else we've got to figure out what we're dealing with up there. No kidding. That is so weird. Tex, I want to say thank you so much for filling in for Super Duke tonight, my man. It has been a a, a fantastic run. And this evidence of these fingerprints, where can people find them to see them if, say, they're listening in podcast or radio land? 
Uh, right now, I don't have them posted anywhere except on last night's show. We went over them on uh, last night's uh, live show, but it, the show's out there. You can go watch it on Texas Front Porch. And uh, But I'm going to post them on our community page probably as soon as we get done here, so you can go there and walk, look at them too. No, that is fantastic, man. And you know what? This is why we do it, Tex. This is why we do it, it is. is is, you know, uh, hunting cryptids is much like golf. You love it, but you hate it. But then you make that one shot that keeps you going back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am, I've got, I, I was kind of getting honest to God. I was going to get burn out um, because I, I felt like it was the same stuff over and over and over again. Not that I wasn't having experiences. I was, but I wanted to get something to, you know, definitive and, and this is it. So, you know, it, the fire has been lit under me again. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm excited again. So. I don't blame you. You should be my man. You should be. Uh, thank you once again for filling in for super Duke on the cryptid report tonight. Your beard is looking exemplary as usual and uh, good luck and stay safe in the field, my man. Thank you. Right back at you, brother. Anytime you need me, you just holler. I will. That's Super Tex, because we can't say Super Duke. Super Duke's not here. <laughs> Super Tex from the Paracrypted Report, Texas Front Porch on YouTube. So make sure you check it on out. And here we go. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, Spreaker, LGAP, Facebook, LinkedIn, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter at hashtag SpacedOutRadio. Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SMR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us. Because together, my friends, we own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your sheets are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.